The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Rodicat, and you can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can also find me at News Nerds Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. All this time, that still makes me smile for some stupid reason. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) And with me tonight for providing the sound effects as he normally tends to do is one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? And with us tonight, we have a special treat for all you for all you comic book chronicles fans. Friend of the show, Miracle Worker. Um, um, all around dope ass dude. One Matt Wayne ninety seven on Twitter. What? Where's my theme music? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Have, I didn't have a chance to cue any up. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't, Thanks I don't for having me again on the show. Really excited to be here. You know, you are always welcome here, sir. Always, always, always. So. And to tonight, we will. We're we're especially glad to have you for the occasion. At which we will get to in a minute, but what I will get to after I finish um, the intros with one PCN underscore dirt, who is not here. Um, you can find him at PCN underscore dirt on Twitter. You can also find him at popculturenetwork.com, popculturenetwork, pop excuse me, popculturenet on Twitter, and all his umbrella sites therein. And. Oh, and, sorry, you're right, haha. <laughs> Uh, also on the Vine Alternative Byte, B-Y-T-E, under the term Comic Reviews, no vowels. And not with us tonight is the Osiris of this ish. One, Tim, D-O-G-D-9-8 on Twitter. Um, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Comic Book Chronicles Twitter account. Uh, the Click Nation on Twitter and theclicknation.com. That's D-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N. Um, and also, of course... Comic resources where he's over there writing his face off. Uh, you can find this hero podcast on CSPN.us. Do it today. That's right, the coastal of the podcast network, folks. Um, you can also find this here podcast on your podcast perusal place of choice, that being whether Google Play, Apple iTunes, let me turn on this fan, Spotify, uh, and the Coastal of the Podcast Networks. SoundCloud page. All right, folks. Tonight we are here talking about. Um, well, this is pretty much a very. I said last week in the notes a seminal event in comic history, and this is damn sure one of them. Um, we are going to be talking about tonight after we do the news. One, Crisis on Infinite Earths from 1985. Right, we're covering the first six issues, yes. so you do have the opportunity to uh, uh, catch up 
uh, relatively quickly on your reading. Note that these issues are a little longer than uh, we might be or what we might have become used to in recent years. So uh, we're doing this in two parts. So this episode is is uh, issues one through six. Yes. One, some would say this is part one of the two-part event. Exactly. Which it probably will be once comes the time you see this in audio form. So there you go. Uh, but first, before we get into that, we are going to do the news like we tend to do about this time while I finish putting out this tweet. A little behind the scenes during the show is always a wonderful thing. <laughs> and we're going to start off with the cinematic news as we tend to do with Blam. First off, um, Thor Love and Thunder director answers if Beta Ray Bill will show up. And that answer is, um, he says uh, on his Instagram, I love Beta Ray Bill. I'd love to have him in the film, but I just don't know right now. Things are a little up in the air. So that, oh. makes, so that makes things a little bit murky coming up. Um, and it goes on to say that the director has uh, voiced his love for the character in the past, but, you know, it might be out of his hands if that's going to happen. So, everybody, because, and there's been, you know, there was that whole talk about when uh, Kristen Bale was rumored to be in it, which we couldn't find out he's going to be in it, but that whether he was going to be playing Bill or someone else, I'm still thinking it's Balder. But, you know, who knows where all of that goes? Or I think he may I think he may even be a villain. I think I can't remember what how that turned up. But regardless, that's that. Next up. Right oh. So next up, uh the star of the Shang-Chi movie, Simu Liu, has revealed his birthday wish. So um the film star has uh been posting some updates since production of the film was put on hold due to uh COVID nineteen. Uh, he took to Instagram to share his birthday wish, which is for people to donate to hospitals during the pandemic. In fact, if you prove you've donated to a healthcare organization, the Marvel star will send you a personal thank you. That's really nice. Yep. Indeed. Uh, let's see. Next up. I'm going to make sure these levels are straight because apparently things think the things. Um, Avengers Endgame was the final film in Don Cheadle's Marvel contract, apparently. So, um, yeah. So Don Cheadle says his original contract with Marvel Cinematic Universe is up, but uh, oh, but this article postulates, does that mean his time as War Machine is over? Um, he's he discussing how he became part of the MCU with the AV Club. Cheadle explained, I got a call from my agent, and they said, hey, I want you to connect with these Marvel guys. We all know he took over from that other dude, we don't have to say his name, uh, as Rhodey. <laughs> I was about to say, all you have to say is, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then it was like, they want to talk to you off your part. The actor then inadvertently revealed Endgame was the end of uh, the end of his original contract as he continued. I don't think it was Feige. Um, I don't know who was on the phone, but they said, hey, this is the role we want you to do it. Six-picture deal. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I'm trying to do the math. I'm like, that's like 11 or 12 years. I'm not sure. Apparently, since he did it, then we are, we've already seen him on film. We know how that turns out. Exactly. It's funny that you, you know, that, uh, this comes up and you start to count the appearances and you realize that six appearances goes by, you know, actually went by fairly quickly. Yep, for sure. And yeah, mostly everybody's, or at least specifically the main folks or, um, contracts have been up around the same time or a similar around time 
you know. Right. I think there's a couple other people that's got a little bit, but like Sebastian Stan, I think he's probably got a couple more shots in him. Um, outside of that, and a couple other people, so yeah. All right, I think he they signed him on to one of the longer deals. Right, he was like nine, I think, or something right. like that. But um, yeah. So what, what else does he have to do? Um, he'll chance. Um, rumor is he'll probably be in Black Panther two. More like no, no, no. I'm just saying outside of the Marvel. Uh, yeah. oh. He's being facetious. <laughs> I mean, hey, we don't know what the dude's doing. We also, oh, oh, you know what? No, we'll get to that in a minute because actually, there's a you get a kick out of something I was watched recently that has nothing to do with him, mind you, but somebody else that we've frequently talked about. Next up, though. All right, next up, uh, Avengers Endgame actor Mark Ruffalo wants to see a standalone Hulk film that pairs him up with Wolverine and not for the first time. Uh, speaking to Variety, Ruffalo said he would love to see a solo Hulk film flesh out the backstory of his character and pit him against Wolverine. Now that Disney has the character rights for Wolverine and the X-Men, Ruffalo thinks the time is right. Maybe Hulk and Wolverine could uh, hook up and not in the colloquial sense. Oh, no. Um, it's funny. One of the things that I got, one of the Marvel Legends, uh, that I got from that, uh, was issued last year was the 80th anniversary one with the uh, first appearance Wolverine and the Hulk. So, uh, I can't wait to unveil that on a future episode, probably next week or the week after. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, Avengers star, speaking of Mark Ruffalo, tried to talk Marvel out of casting him, apparently. So he was talking to Variety, and Ruffalo said that he was apprehensive to, uh, to step in the Hulk giant shoes. He says, I quote, uh, I did try to talk to him out of casting me, and I can see him actually doing that. Um, I don't know if I'm the right guy. I've never done anything like this, uh, he quotes. And between Josh Whedon and Robert Downey Jr., they were pretty convincing that I could do it. And again, as we know, he clearly did it, so... But yeah, he's also states that the kind of was a, it was kind of nerves that kind of um, got the better of him when he was doing it. But hey, it worked out. Next up, all right. Next up, uh, director Sam Raimi, who helmed the original Spider-Man movie trilogy, has confirmed that he will direct Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, following reports from early February that he was in talks. Uh, he spoke to Coming Soon about a reference he previously made to Strange in Spider-Man 2, in which the character Ted Hoffman rattles off some suggestions for naming Dr. Octopus, the movie's villain, including Dr. Strange. That's great news. I know, right? It's going to be weird, because you know Ted Raimi's going to show up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and we already know uh, J.K. Rowling. Or J.K. Rowling. J.K. Simmons is already <laughs> <laughs> different. J.K. Um, it it is already back in the Spider Verse. Yeah. J.K. Rowling appearing in a Marvel movie and what havoc that would cause amongst fandom. Man, people would explode. That would be some funny mess, though. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't try. I was like, hey, just sneak on the for you know this part is a version of Agatha Harkness or something. I don't know. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, but next up, uh, Galaxy of the Galaxy News, Rocket plays a quote-unquote big part in Volume 3. So, um, okay, yeah, so this came from uh, James Gunn on Twitter after a user asked if Rocket's origin will be addressed in the upcoming MCU cool. film. Uh, and he says, uh, Gunn says, I'll just say Rocket is a big part of what's happening in the future. 
and a lot of this stuff, like the scars we we're about to see see on his back, uh, sets up what I've been planning for Rocket all along. He wrote, so that could be a maybe. His comic book origin is a mess. Don't even, <laughs> don't even bother. Even Scotty Young, Scotty Young, who loved the character, did a run, and at the end, he's just like, right, you know, it doesn't matter what your origin is, you're awesome. Right, and that's been, a short version. Yeah, and they've been trying to kind of try to smooth some of it out with the recent Guardians. Well, I say smooth out, but they've been working with it. I'll say not necessarily smooth it out, but yeah, right. Touch at least touching upon it. Yes, you know, without really delving into the nitty gritty and describing all the parts that you know would be a little confusing. But yeah, as as Ryder Cat mentioned in in the recent uh, issues of the the latest Guardians relaunch, they touch upon that. So you know, I'd be interested to see if they incorporate that into the movies no more half world we're done half world we're done yep we're still there in the comics sir so it's probably gonna right. happen all right 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 all right next up Pres- what's next what's next i'll tell you uh agents of shield brings back a, a car a character from the agent carter uh tv show in the first look for season seven uh i am referring to um Seuss, Agent Souza, played by Enver Jokaj, uh, who never expected to play uh, Daniel Souza again after uh, Agent Carter's two-season run ended in 2016. Uh, it was revealed by Entertainment Weekly that uh, Jokaj will guest star as Souza in the seventh and final season of ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's interesting. He actually makes an appearance in the first Avengers movie as well as a nameless uh, NYPD cop. Right. So, hey, things to come, I guess, at the, at the time. Exactly. So, next up, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I have not caught up with uh, with um, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I need to do that, actually. Uh, but, in this exclusive Star Wars short, it's droids who save the galaxy. And, sadly, it is not that uh, 80s uh, cartoon that, that uh, some of us of a certain vintage will know and love. Great theme song, by the way. So yeah, there's a new Galaxy of Adventures short, and apparently um, R2, C3PO, BB-8, and I guess that and that um, and that one new robot that Agent Seventy doesn't like so much are off on an adventure, um, th- which looks like in some sort of forest. So I don't know if this is indoor or this is like just some roundabout. But whatever, you can go check it out for yourself when you get the chance. Uh, next up. All right. Next up. Uh... Daisy Ridley has come out uh, in an interview with Entertainment Weekly speaking about the poor reception that Star Wars Rise of Skywalker received. It was her third outing in uh, the Star Wars, the, the most recent Star Wars trilogy. And uh, she essentially says, um, you know, that it's just been very tricky. And, uh, you know, when she's when you're and I'm quoting you know, when you're part of something that is so filled with love and then people don't like it, you know, everyone's entitled to not like something, but it feels like it's changed slightly. But I think in general, that's because social media and what have you. So uh, I guess it just, you know, there's just more uh, ways for people to express express themselves nowadays when they don't like something. Yeah. I mean, the part of that, if I get what she's saying, is kind of not wrong because people can kind of, for better or for worse, get on social media and just do things and game system right point exactly exactly so, yeah 
But uh, moving on, DuckTales producer details the long process of getting the rescue rangers in the latest episode. So they basically it was awesome. It I know, was so good. Oh, you've been you're you've been keeping up with it. Yeah, yeah, I, and I just saw that episode. I didn't know they're showing up, and I knew they're showing up this season. Mm-hmm. But the way they weaved it in was awesome. Yeah, so I have not been watching it, but I was, and by proxy of seeing all this news here, is like, okay, I've really got to see some of this stuff because they've been basically putting, they've basically kind of blended the whole universe, in, including apparently two that were never together in the first place, um, in, into this one thing, and that's kind of that's kind of crazy. But yeah, so Dovetail producer says it does. Says it's been a lo- road, little. It's been a long road for Frank and Gomez and his crew. They've been steadily adding more and more elements of the old Disney afternoon uh, universe to the Dovetail show, and apparently there are some stuff that they couldn't do. Oh wait, they couldn't cross, and Chippendale was one of them. Careful viewers might have peeped the breadcrumbs leading to the acknowledgement of Chipdale gadget. Monterey Jack and Zimber. Well, they made their grand debut this week, and uh, the producer told the story on how it happened on Twitter. So you can check that out. And if you haven't seen the episode like like me, like I have, you know, from what I've seen of that show, it's pretty good. So I might want to check it out if you can. High, highly recommended. There you go. You got the the girls watching it. No, no, no. There are more Mickey Mouse people, but uh, eventually they will. Indeed. Exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Next up. All right, next up, there is a report that the Animaniacs revival on Hulu uh, is going to reunite the original cast and reportedly eyes a fall premiere. According to Flickering Myth, uh, Rob Paulson, Jess Harnell, and Tress McNeil are set to return for Hulu's revival as Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, respectively. The characters of Pinky and the Brain are also apparently back uh, to do what, well, you know, what they try to do every night, (laughs) which is try to take over the world. Uh, this information is corroborated by a previous tweet from the anime cast, which features a photo of the cast provided by Brain's original voice actor, Maurice LaMarche. So, you know what? That's pretty cool. You know, you know what's really interesting about this is that, obviously, a lot of productions are shut down right now, but animation is not. Right. So you've got all these streaming channels, all the all the cable channels. They're trying to get productions up and running, and, and animation is the only one they can do right now. I mean, everyone's trying to line up content, mm-hmm. but voice actors working from home, animators just work from their studios, mm-hmm. and they they're working hard right now on shows. Yeah, which is which is great to see. It was like the, it's good that you know this is one place where it's not hindered as much by by what's going on. So if at all, so that's great. And I'm curious. Well, actually, I don't know. I had to check out his podcast because I know Rob Paulson does a does a podcast. Right. He uh, he stopped doing it for a while. Oh, okay. But uh, you know, he did have a podcast that featured uh, mo. You know, uh, that featured uh, uh, primarily voice actors and you know talking about their process and talking about uh, you know their careers. I was just going to add uh, before we move on that it's interesting. Like. Um, I see more and more advertisements for um, better than podcast quality microphones popping up in all of my feeds because I think, you know, just speaking of uh, voice talent recording their 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 parts at home, 
uh, I think that uh, you know, with the with everyone working from home and trying to uh, to increase the quality of their Zoom calls or their Skype calls, you're going to see more and more people um, upgrading their equipment at home, mm-hmm. and a lot more people uh, maybe not getting a new computer, but maybe upgrading their their uh, their microphones so that they uh, sound better on audio. Right. Yeah, like not everybody, you know, has got a mixer and a, an actual relatively studio quality mic like 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 some of us are doing for no apparent reason at all. Like these folks, <laughs> like these folks are actually using it for you know intended purposes. So. Right. And and I think they've probably been doing that before this happened. But yeah, there are more and more that are definitely getting into like better quality stuff to, for for those reasons. And I've also seen a couple of other like YouTube channels that do like. Um, uh, that usually has some content on the anime front that are doing that. And it was like, well, you can definitely tell there's a difference. Anyway, next up, um, Man of Steel's Michael Shannon agrees with Superman killing Zod. So um, I, I'm not sure what brought this up, but apparently um, while appearing on Cinema Blend's Real Blend podcast, Michael Shannon was asked if he thought, uh, if, yeah, if he thought Zod's death at Superman's hand was needless. And he says, uh, no, I didn't. I, I didn't think there was any other way to end it, really. The, the actor replied, I mean, Zod says, it's either me or you. I'm not going to let you survive. I will kill you unless you kill me. And that seems sufficiently Greek to me, you know? So, in his eyes, he's like, hey, <laughs> that's how it goes down. Bendis would have figured it out. <laughs> and the movie would have been a whole another 30 minutes long with needless dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right, though, I guess. Um, move right along. Uh, next up, uh, Henry Apple is spending his quarantine painting hammer miniatures. I don't know why I just did uh, reverberate. Oh, wait. Did... Uh, wait, you missed one, actually. Did I? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Man of Steel star would love to shoot Snyder Cut. Cuts Martian Man of Steel. And you're cutting out. That's what I get. Unmuting my... That, that news, the, the, the Warhammer news, is, is so awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically, while um, while um, Agent Seventy fixes uh, what's going on, if it, if he if he can fix it, uh, say so what? I said if I can. There we go. I think you got it. All right. But yeah, uh, Harry Lennox, the actor who you've known him, you've seen him. If you don't know him, you've seen him a lot of stuff. He's been in the Matrix. He's been in Man of Steel. He's been in a whole bunch of stuff. He's basically said he'd uh, love to portray Martian Manhunter in Justice League uh, Snyder Cut, which, man, I wish they would stop with the dog on Snyder Cut, for God's sake. Um, but he just hopes that the film gets seen regardless. He just says, uh, I would love to do it on the Comic Book Central podcast. I just hope it will be seen. I really do. So, sure, It's not going to make the movie any better. No, it really won't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. Anyway, so you know, so back to the the story of um the back to the story provided to that. Yeah, Henry Cavill is spending his quarantine time painting Warhammer miniatures, and the crowd goes absolutely bonkers when they saw this. Like the internet kind of blew up for a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, um, Henry Cavill was on. I think it was on Instagram. 
if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's had an Instagram post where he was shown painting little figures, and it obviously got around, you know, quite largely that um, that he was doing this, which I think it has been said before that he was, like, we knew he was into The Witcher before he even got the part. Um, so we knew he was doing stuff like that, and I think he's, it has been said he was into, like, Warhammer stuff prior to that, but I guess at the time it didn't really resonate as it does now. I didn't open the story. What uh, what type of Warhammer? Um, it says uh, Total War Warhammer 2. He says, well, he says he's also... Play- Wait a minute. Um, I don't know that much about Warhammer, so I don't know if it's 40K or... Yeah, but exactly. I was about to say, I'm assuming it's the fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense with his... At his age, he's from London, He's from the UK, and that's where Games Workshop uh, started and mm-hmm. is based. It, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's a, you know, he's a fan, he's going to be a fan of that. Right. But still, like I said, I know the yeah, people who are into Warhammer stuff are like just geeking right about now, assuming they whether they like him or not, you know. It's, it's, it's hard for them. Have mm-hmm. you tried have you tried painting those? Those are really hard. No. Oh yeah. Mm-mm, I would not touch it. <laughs> I've only done I've only done a few miniatures and they are very difficult, but I know people that that's like their meditation is mm-hmm. doing those and just doing them in bulk, mm-hmm. you know? So more power to those people. Yep. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, next up, uh, this is a big, big spoiler alert for people who have not yet watched uh, DC Universe's Harley Quinn. So I'm just going to ring the spoiler bell real quick. Uh, DC Universe's Harley Quinn reveals a major Batman villain is gay. So season two of DC Universe's Harley Quinn has found Joker's ex and her team of misfits holed up in uh, Gotham Mall, struggling with how the city should ideally be run. Uh, It's been deemed a no-man's land by the U.S. government, so when the power starts to fail at the lair, the team decides to raid Riddler U. Um, uh, uh, Gotham's university has been turned into Riddler's base, one that still has power running, so Harley's crew wants to figure out how and steal whatever battery he's using. As the plan unfolds, though... Secret is revealed as one of Batman's major villains turns out to be gay, Clayface. Mm-hmm. So, okay, <laughs> right, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I haven't like I haven't watched this show either, which I guess it's, I don't know. Are they like full running like thirty minute shows? I don't know. Anybody know? I my uh, my DC Universe ex- uh, uh, mem- free membership expired, mm. so. I have not been on top of what's happening in, uh, you know, on the uh, streaming, you know, on the uh, on the site. Got it. I think also um, I want to say Batgirl also comes up, but I think we talked about last last week. Either way. So here's the news that I was trying to get that I was alluding to earlier um, in Agent 70 and even Matt. You may want to check this out. I don't know. Code 8 on Netflix. Watch Robbie Amell and Stephen Amell's gritty sci-fi thriller. So uh, apparently, the the Yamel cousins, um, you know them as Fire One Part of Star, Firestorm and uh, the Green Arrow um, from the Arrowverse. You might have heard about it. I don't know. Got together and uh, did a put out a movie on Kickstarter, if I'm not mistaken. And now, and it's a movie that started as a short from back in 2016, as I found out, uh, starring them and some other people. 
and now has blossomed into this movie, which is now on Netflix for anybody to watch. And I watched this the other night, and it's actually not not bad. Um, it's also kind of funny because you, you see Stephen Lamar shows show up, uh, and you know you're thinking Green Arrow, but now he's not Green Arrow, but he's just some dude that has powers, and that's not so much of a spoiler. But you know, it's just kind of funny to see. Uh, there's a couple other people that are also a movie, including one Sung Kang. Han. Yep. So that's kind of funny, and his part in it is um, as I was joking with the person I was watching it with, I was like, "Yeah, this must be where he went after he quote unquote died in the Fast and Furious movies." No, oh, no. <laughs> but um, and also some a few people might not know, but um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's from Dark matter um he was one of them the stars on dark matter and i can't remember his name right about now but he was also in it and um in a part but yeah but yeah if you get a chance to check it out do so it's actually not not a bad movie it's basically so there's a little bit of just to get a little just a little bit like the world there's a it's basically a sci-fi world where Okay, people have powers, but they're being discriminated against. You may have heard of something like this in the trail, but it's kind of set, kind of grounded in the real world. There's like um, robot cops also. There's real cops, but there's also robot cops that are used to kind of help patrol because of, you know, the, the number of powered people that are around. Um, and the movie kind of turns into a slight heist movie um, at, a, at a particular time. And then there's some more stuff that I won't necessarily get into, but you know, that'll, that'll um, give the story a little bit more away, but it was actually not badly done, so I'm like, yeah, I'd say it's worth a watch. It's, it's not even that long either, but it's pretty good. Is it, is it better than X-Men Dark Phoenix? That's not saying much. You do know that, right? Okay. <laughs> just like, you know, I'm just trying to gauge, like... It, 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 weirdly enough, it looks like, like, they have a little bit of a budget, like they don't go crazy with the effects, but at the same time, you know, it's it's pretty well done. I, I thought for for whatever budget they had, it's actually pretty well done. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that. Next up. Next up, Netflix has inked a first look deal with publisher Boom Studios. It gives Netflix access to the largest library of controlled comic book IP outside of Marvel and DC. That's pretty cool. I, I read that as their PR person at Boom did a really good job, or someone at Netflix <laughs> did a really good job of writing that. Oh, that's a big release. claim. Yeah. That's a big claim that they're making. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, I mean it's interesting. The one, the one property that jumps out at me is Mouse Guard because we know of the. Uh, the, uh, the the attempt to bring uh, an animated movie to life prior to this. So maybe there's hope yet. It's funny you should mention that because I did see a article from I believe OCBR actually saying uh, that came out like right after this saying you know what nine properties of Boom that could they uh, could be adapted to and of course Miles Scott was front and center. So. I mean lumber lumber a live action lumber James would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I believe that was one of the other ones too. So yeah, like they got stuff. It's just a matter of whether anything will show out of this deal, we'll see, I guess. Uh, next up, though, uh, in Evangelion's rumored AIDS PSA has finally been unearthed. So apparently um, there was a... So most folks know the anime Neon Genesis 
uh, Evangelion if you are an anime fan, uh, uh, and and its various steps and missteps in <laughs> in dubbing and whatnot. Um, but apparently, uh, AD, when ADV released a box set of Evangelion uh, anime with a commentary, fans were quick to latch on to a bit of trivia tease by Shinji Ikari, voice actor Spike Spencer, uh, and head of ADV Matt Greenwald, Greenfield. Excuse me. Apparently, Spencer and fellow Evangelion voice actor Tiffany Grant, uh, the original voice of Asuka, had both recorded an AIDS public service announcement shortly after, shortly after finishing Evangelion. The rumored uh, PSA was never aired and was considered lost until now. So somebody dug it up and I guess it's out there somewhere, possibly on YouTube more than likely. And apparently, yes, because it is linked in this article. So if you're a fan of uh, Eva and you hadn't seen that, go check it out. Uh, and cool. With, yeah, and with that, we move over to the comic book news. We start off with uh, a little bit of. Pardon, uh, let's say, pardon me, folks. I was uh, getting my uh, Duolingo lesson in before my seventy some odd day streak <laughs> expired. So I, you literally, probably, saw, you know, those of you watching on video saw me sneak one of my AirPods in so that I could get a lesson in very quickly. So I apologize, folks. Oh. oh. So, but, uh, yeah, we start off the comic book news with some sad news. Uh, caricature, caricaturist and longtime mad artist uh, Mort Drucker, mad magazine artist Mort Drucker, has died at the age of 91, as reported by the New York Times. No cause of death was given. However, he is said to have died at his home in Woodbury, New York. So anyone who grew up at least perusing mad magazines uh, is familiar with Mort Drucker's caricaturist art. Yes. And I know Dick DiPartolo's still floating around, and he's, he's other, got the podcast and his own Twitter and whatnot. I meant to actually go see what you know what he said about it. Because I think he's probably one of the still few remaining mad folks that are still around. Um, so that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, but next up, Todd McFarlane calls for unity... Uh, crossovers and digital to combat coronavirus uh, comics downturn. So, in a wide-ranging interview with Forbes, Image Comics co-creator, president, and still fan favorite writer, and that is the author, that is the um, author of this article saying that uh, Todd McFarlane has broken what he was largely has been a quiet front amongst comic uh, imagery. Why am I not having problems reading? What is going on? And breaks with some um, vocal comic book retailers uh, over a controversial issue. Asks how the industry should respond to the near shutdown diamond uh, suspension. That's okay. That's just bad wording. Of direct market distribution due to coronavirus has fraught. Mike McFarlane, uh, excuse me, McFarlane does not hold back. He says, and I quote, I think the industry needs a consistent message. Um, whatever that message is, right or wrong, we need to be consistent, even if we have to adjust it. But we really need to speak with one voice, not four or five different publishers running four or five different programs and methodologies. It just ends up confusing the retailers and the customers. And then he goes on to say, if they put me in charge, and no one wants that, I understand, here's what I'd do. I'd take Image, Dark Horse, Marvel, and DC, the top 90% of the market, and make a message from the four of us as a unified front. One message. Um, and he just goes on from there. I believe he has also said something because I thought I thought I saw this part on Twitter saying that he wouldn't mind having like a Spawn Spider-Man 
uh, crossover and a couple other crossovers. So some of that kind of seemed a little self-serving also. But um, just kind of to bring the community together, to bring the uh, the industry together. So I mean, it's a way to start the conversation. So exactly. uh, I mean, at least in that regard, it's appreciated. Yes. All right. Uh, yes. Speaking of you know, speaking of comic pros. Um, starting, uh, you know, or at least continuing the conversation on how to sustain uh, a comic book industry. Comic pros have banded together to highlight open comic book stores. A group of comic book creators have organized under the banner Comic Industry Collective to compile a list of all the currently active comic shops in the in the United States and abroad, currently listing 460 stores. Uh, comic Industry Collective is also seeking crowd-sourced information about shops still operating during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and um, I guess they're they're trying to put together a one-stop uh, shop, you know, a one a one-stop place to uh, do your shopping. Right. So awesome. Good deal. Yeah. And still on news on that front, over 100 comic creators join forces to raise money for comic retailers. Uh, under the hashtag uh, creators for comics, over 100 creators are coming together to raise money to help comic book retailers suffering from lost business due to coronavirus. Um, hashtag creators for comics will use a Twitter auction format to raise money for the book industry charitable foundation BNC with... Auctions running from April 15th through April 20th. Uh, and there I'm, I'm literally bidding things. right now. I'm literally on Twitter right now bidding. <laughs> who would you, if you, if you can give that, uh, if you I give that information, who are you bid, bidding on? Uh, I don't think I'm going to win. I, I mean, I've been competing for the, uh, the Phil Yemenez piece. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, uh, I, someone actually bought something from me, so... I can. I, I'm going to use those, that money to to hopefully fit on that. And then, uh, um, Nar Chang, you can be in one of his books. So I bid on that, and uh, something something really like a like a oh a Greg Pack package hmm. that he put up. But there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in here. At mm-hmm. uh, the prints or signed books or scripts. There's um, you know, all types of genres. There's, uh, you know, people will show up at your podcast or uh, you can, I was thinking of you, right? I was thinking of you, uh, Leah, uh, Leah, uh, the writer, um, the writer for Marauders or Dawn of X, Leah. Um, Leah Williams. Leah Williams. Yeah. She is, uh, she will spend an hour with you on Animal Crossing showing you her island. <laughs> nice. I, I thought I thought of you. Right. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, and I have to go, and I probably will be checking on my island after the podcast. So <laughs> this is a good deal. I did not know she was actually. I think I think actually I lie. I'm lying. I did know she was on Animal Crossing because I think I've seen some tweets of hers. Um, but yeah, so the auction the auction effort is being spearheaded by creators Kami Garcia, Michael, Brian Michael Business, Gwenda Bond, Sam Humphreys, and Phil Jimenez. Uh, and there's a bunch of names, including a lot of people in there: Jason Aaron, Mark Guggenheim, uh, Kelly Zuzakonic, Mark Wolfman, Jeff Johns, Joe Hill, Scott Snyder, a bunch of people. Tom King, you know, G. Willow Wilson, Greg Rucker, the aforementioned Greg Pack, and a whole whole bunch of other people. 
that are doing things on the, um, so you check the Twitter, you will see the hashtag and you will see all of the, um, the efforts on that. Mark Guggenheim will bring you to the set. He also has scripts too, um, but he will bring you to a set of a show of the okay. any show he produces. Okay. So yeah. Which means all basically whatever's left of the, um, Arrowverse shows. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of dope. Actually, I wouldn't mind that one, but yeah. Um, but yeah, go check that out. Move right along. Next up, uh, like a superhero team recruitment montage, artists Brian Hitch and Ivan Rice have joined in DC publisher slash chief creative officer Jim Lee's sketch drive, aiming to draw and auction 60 sketches over 60 days to benefit comic book stores reeling from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Hitch tweeted that he's joining Jim Lee on his sketch odyssey and uh, Jim Lee himself announced Ivan Rice's involvement over his over uh, on his personal Instagram page. So cool. And also in that news, um, our Adam donates Wolverine sketch for Jim Lee's uh, charity auction. Um, That thing went to that thing. The pricing, the price on that went sky high immediately. Oh, I, I believe, it. yeah. Matter of fact, uh, holy cow! Um, I'm just looking at the, you. If you're watching the video, you can see it right now. The, it went for eleven thousand two hundred eleven dollars. Yeah, and, and <laughs> the Jim Lee ones, he's doing 60, 60 of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the death, the death and Sam, the Sandman one went to ten thousand dollars in like a couple hours. Jeez, I did see that one earlier today. That one is elaborate. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the entire endless right mm-hmm. on the bottom. Excuse me. I'm not even familiar with that. And God help us if we ever decide to do uh, uh, Comic Book Chronicles on uh, you know on Sandman stuff. But oh, uh, <laughs> you know, I just saw you know like the you know to, just to see all of those characters all in one sketch, you have to assume that that's going to cost Boku bucks. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what Jim Lee is doing is really it's cool. If you win. One okay. One all these sketches will become covers of DC Comics. Oh, nice. Two, if you win, you pick the next character. Right. Ooh. Hmm. I can see that going a couple of different ways. <laughs> 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 um, but that's uh, other. I mean, it's for a great cause, so it's all. It's a, a, you know, it's going to be good all the way around. So, but yeah, there's been some some. Some really dope things that have come out of it. I mean, I, crisis aside, you know, this is there's some some good things happening in the industry uh, that's trying to help things out, and that's awesome. Uh, and uh, continuing on, uh, next up, Ironhead Studio, which has made uh, costumes for numerous films featuring Marvel and DC characters, is turning its expertise to making masks to cope with the COVID-19 outbreak. The design house announced in a Facebook post that it is crafting handmade cloth masks to be sold to the public while it is closed during this period. Cool. Yeah, really. Yeah, I've seen some other people uh, in, a, in a smaller, um, you know, a smaller fair doing that for people they know and stuff like that. I'm like, this is that's pretty good. Even some kind of hilarious um, 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 alcohol-related ones. But, yeah. Uh, but good deal. Let's see. Next up, Donny Cates buys an entire comic shop's pull list for customers. That's kind of baller. Um, Venom writer 
Dunkates agreed to purchase the entirety of Austin, Texas uh, comic retailer Austin Books and Comics' outstanding customer poll list, which have been placed on hold due to COVID-19. Uh, here's Austin Books and Comics uh, message to their customers from their Facebook page, urging them to come pick up their new now paid for comic book list and spend the money that would have put in comics on some more products from the store. Uh, I won't go into the thing, but they're basically saying, hey, somebody bought your pull. Let me, you know, Donny Case bought y'all's pull list. Come get some stuff and, and help us out. The TLDR. Good That's on. pretty cool. Yeah, really. Next up. All right, next up. Uh, Diamond Comic Distributors founder Steve Geppi delivered a letter uh, earlier this week on Monday announcing how it intends to make payments to its vendors, which include comic book publishers, after last week announcing it was holding scheduled payments. Scheduled payments uh, in the letter, the Diamond owner said that the plans currently are to pay 25% of the weekly amount due under the contract terms, with the remainder being paid out along a new timetable set out. This is one of those things where a quarter of a loaf, to, 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 to paraphrase, a quarter of a loaf is better than no loaf at all. True. Uh, comics still selling well in book trade despite coronavirus pandemic. Uh, with the direct market effectively shuttered down due to comic, comic, Diamond Comic Distributors shutdown and several state mandates, uh, the book trade has become the de facto primary distribution channel for comic book publishers, including Marvel, DC, Boom Studios, and Viz Media. Uh, ICV2's Milton Grepp has organized a report of book trade sales in the wake of coronavirus pandemic. According to the figures from BookScan, uh, March's 2020 sales for the top top 20 kids graphic novel titles quote-unquote were actually up substantially over um march 2019 and that of the top 20 adult graphic novels were quote-unquote similar to those from the point from this point last year and then the article kind of goes into uh um as a how and possibly why this is happening which i won't have to get into but you can read it for yourself next all right uh Comic-Con International San Diego is evaluating any financial liability that a decision to cancel this year's convention would bring before they make a decision whether to move forward as planned, according to San Diego Tourism Authority CEO Joe Terzi. Um, According to the newspaper, the Tourism Authority asked more than 50 hotels that are part of the uh, San Diego Comic-Con hotel block for assurances that any cancellation fees or penalties for this year's event be waived as they work through this challenging process. And apparently, a majority of the hotels reportedly agreed to their request. Hmm. Right, because it's either, at this point, it's like either, okay, are we going to continue to put this on and risk uh, things getting worse, or are we going to bite the bullet, I mean, and, and bite the bullet and eat up the... Soak up the cost of canceling this thing. Right. So, you know, I figure like San Diego's probably big enough to where they could probably eat it. I don't know. So, it is a thing. Who knows? It, it, is, uh, it is one of the biggest events there. Mm-hmm. So, it, it will probably be really hard. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, even on that scale, it's like, yeah, that's, I'm not saying that that's not going to be a large cost to them or anyone in that, you know, in that equation. But, you know, that's, it's that's not an undertaking you don't want to you want to have to to have to take lightly. Um, next up, 
can geeky zoom back around to make your meeting more interesting. If you notice at the uh, beginning of the show, you might have seen one of them on my side. But yeah, so here's an article. We've we've seen an article, a similar article from DC Comics, uh, and this um, PC Mag decided to put together a um, a list of those. And actually, if you go back to news, you can kind of go a few days. You can kind of see under that uh, hashtag Zoom virtual background. But anyway, so you see some from DC Comics, Marvel, Star Trek, The Good Place, Betty Boop, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, Fox Animation. All of these were have been on Twitter in the past couple of months. But, you know, you can find a whole bunch of them in all one sweet place, including uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, which I did not see earlier, which I'm probably going to download. No kidding. You didn't see that one? Okay. No, I didn't see that one. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I was about to say, just as a quick add-on, I know that uh, Marvel, the uh, the Marvel Twitter handle put out four more uh, backgrounds today with that were character-specific. So mm-hmm. take a look at that on Marvel's uh, Twitter feed. Any, any Power Pack or uh, Stingray? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody but you wants them, let's uh, be honest. Uh, um <laughs> All right, next up, uh, former DC co-publisher Dan DiDio has spoken about the issues with the New 52 as well as the biggest problem with the DC Rebirth Initiative. During a drink and draw live stream alongside Marvel editor-in-chief Joe Quesada, DiDio discussed where he felt the New 52 went wrong. Uh, according to him, not as much time was spent on the second year of the New 52 as the first. That's probably his biggest regret is making things happen too quickly sometimes. So, yeah, I can I can concur. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's amazing the things you can say when you're not with the company anymore. So, yeah. Just saying. I, you can't, know. Watch, I can't wait to watch that. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I had, hadn't, uh, hadn't checked that out myself, but I'm definitely planning to. So, sure to be quite enlightening. Uh, DC didn't want Loeb and Lee's Hush to be part of the main Batman series. So, while Batman's Hush has gone to be one of the character's most popular storylines, former um, DC Comics co-publisher Dan DiDio says the company originally viewed the tale as one to be kept away from its Batman comic series. During the same Drink and Draw live stream, uh, which featured several famed comics artists, DiDio spoke re- regarding the Hush storyline written by Jeff Loeb and artist Jim Lee. Um, internally at DC, there wasn't a lot of excitement for Hush. Uh, DiDio said they wanted to do that book originally like they did all the Loeb sale books. They wanted to make it uh, as prestige off to the side. Um, and he revealed that it was Lee who convinced DC to make Hush a part of the main Batman series. And he says, I remember Jim to this day going, no, I want to be on this on the line. I want to be numbering the book so and there you go apparently that ended up happening i have still never read hush so really yeah that's a great it's, it's a great it's a great series i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of batman to be honest my, my dc knowledge is like sliced i don't there's not a whole lot that i've read um classically so i have it matter of fact i do have it because i have it on the comicsology but i just never read it so anyway next All right. up. Uh, Speaking of Batman, this year marks the 25th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Finale, actually. Uh, The show does live on in the new Batman the Adventures uh, continued digital first comic series. Series co-creator Paul Dini and longtime show writer-producer Alan Burnett lead the way, joined by artist Ty Templeton, who drew some previous comics based on the cartoon. Uh... 
This week, DC released the second chapter of Batman The Adventures Continue with the caped crusader fighting Lex Luthor, but another even more menacing DC villain lurking in the shadows. Um, so apparently, uh, including, uh, in addition to Lex Luthor, Brainiac, and possibly the Batman who laughs. Oh, no. Yeah. My goodness. fans of TS is like, wait, what? Hold on. <laughs> Why? Why? What's going on there? Why is that happening? True, true. Um, so moving right along, Kevin Eastman hosting online hangout to celebrate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one's anniversary. Um, I want to say this may be... Nope, this has, oh, actually this is today. So, um, at the time of this recording, Kevin... Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles co-creator Kevin Eastman will be hosting a Facebook Live event with fans later um, to celebrate the 36th anniversary of the very first issue's release. So wow. up from the 36 chambers comes Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Do, 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 do. 36 years oh. to the day. Uh, so happy anniversary today, April 16th. Wow, happy anniversary. Uh, I just wanted to note, if you have not yet seen the Netflix uh, documentary series, The Toys That Made Us mm, episode yeah. with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that features uh, both uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird uh, and their, their trials and tribulations, please go watch it. It is phenomenal. That, and that thing, in the, uh, the Toys That Made Us is just in generally interesting to folks like us and comic uh, not comic but comic and you know toy collectors so check that out for sure marvel has no plans to release new digital comics on april 15th duh <laughs> yeah. i know right um so cbr has learned that marvel comics will not release any new comic book titles digitally on april 15th by the way happy tax day um uh, post-tax day, I guess. But this follows previous weeks with that the publisher has declined to release comics digitally. Boo. Following Diamond Comics distributors, blah, 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 yakish black. Y'all know what's going on at this point. Uh, but Dan Buckley did release a statement on it saying that they, they weren't going to do it. So, hey, here we are, folks. Next. Exactly. Um, so... The new Warriors relaunch was supposed to come out this week as solicited, um, but since that hasn't happened, uh, in its stead, the variants for that first issue have trickled out ahead of its eventual release. So in addition to the main cover by R.B. Silva, there are variants by series artists Luciano Vecchio, Declan Shalvey, uh, Mark Bagley, and a hidden gem variant by Mark Bagley. I, I, I'm getting my Mark Bagley's. I, I, I love that series. One of my favorite series, I, and I actually collect those pages too. Nice. Ooh. So, if you're watching the video, you can see um, scrolling through the covers and some some other stuff. Um, I'm slightly interested in that series. I'm not sure how I feel about some of those new people, uh, or at least the, at least I should say the the art for them, I guess. But the you know, and the names, another thing about it. But outside of that, hey, I'm, I'm going to check it out whenever it happens to happen. Um, next up, Black Knight and Avengers returns to the Savage Land in Empire tie-in. So with the unified Kree scroll Alliance looming on Earth's doorstep, Captain America knows he needs reinforcement, and thus the call is sent out and answered in Empire's Avengers. Why did it have to be the Black Knight? That is me. Well, 
because of Eternals, probably. They're trying to get ahead yeah. of that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, in this upcoming three-issue series, writers Jim Zub and auto artist uh, Carlos Magno lead a three-pronged approach that includes classic heroes such as Scarlet Witch, Vision, Wonder Woman. Wait, what? Wonder Woman. It's this is an article and Mockingbird. Um, Wonder Man. It must be Wonder Man. That must be. That has to be. I was about to say that's autocorrect kicking into overdrive right there. I told damn it, Newsarama, you need editors. Um, oh wait, you have one. Actually, in fact, that's who wrote this. Anyway, um, as well as cult favorites like Quicksilver, Luke Cage, Doctor Voodoo, Kazar, Doctor Nemesis, and Black Knight. Yes, Black Knight, the 1990s leather jacket era Avengers leader. Wait, you didn't? Yeah. Oh well, I don't count that. I don't care. Black Widow was actually the leader. Right. Yeah, I know. It's like, why did they say? It's like, I remember that time, and I don't remember that being the case. I don't know what these people are doing. Anyway, so Empire Avengers One of Three was solicited to arrive uh, April 29th, and um, I think we can safely say that's not going to happen. I, I definitely want one of those ninety style Avengers jackets. It was my favorite <laughs> run. I I had fun with that run. Um, there was some. You know, I believe that is the actually the, also the the infamous uh, affair during that run, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. So with, which uh, affair? Uh, Black Knight and Cersei. Yeah, Crystal. yeah. Yeah. Guess who the artist was? Steve Upton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And guess who the writer was? Is it Bob Tom? Oh Bob no, Harris. it was Bob Harris, the editor of X Men. Yes. Yep. So yeah, there was yeah there was there was. That was a time, folks. Maybe no, we're not. I'm not even gonna promise that. We'll. we'll <laughs> I was about to say something. I'm not promising that. Um, I gotta tell you that. Um, what you gonna call it? The leather jacket look has made an appearance in the Marvel Legends line as well. Line as well. There is in the Black Widow wave. Uh, you know, in support of the the still to be released movie, there is a gray suited, short hair, uh, Black Widow mm. with brown jacket i'm like oh can you take the brown jacket off please i just wanted to see the gray suit you know the 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 gray suit with the black um spider on the back right the black widow on the back actually you know the black uh you know it's it's layered in black so you know but anyway yes um uh, for for those of you who have access to Marvel Unlimited, like myself, who finally got on board just before they made things free, damn it, uh, or at least a lot of things free because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, you can go and look through uh, the what-if issues that chronicle some of the Avengers' what-if greatest defeats across the Marvel, uni- Mar- Marvel multiverse, such as what if the Avengers had lost... Um, See, I, I was just looking at this. What if the Avengers lost to Korvac? Mm-hmm. What if the Avengers lost Galactic Galactic Storm? What if the Avengers lost Atlantis Attacks? And what if the Avengers lost Civil War? So there are a multitude of these what if issues that you can peruse on Marvel Unlimited. So have fun. Mm-hmm. I remember reading at least the first couple of those. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't bad. Um, you can... Get the first two arcs of the of uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther run for free right now on Comixology if you are so inclined. Um, like the first volume collects Black Panther 2016 1 through 12, and again, free. 
comicsology right now. I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but right now at the time of this writing, uh, excuse me, at the time of this uh, recording, April 16th, you can still do so. So go check that out if you're interested. Next up. All right, next up in very recent news that is welcome to my ears. In October, hopefully in October, IDW is going to celebrate the dynamic artwork of industry icon Jim Lee with the addition of Jim Lee's X-Men Artist Edition to its multiple Eisner Award-winning Artist Edition line. So it is going to include, my understanding is that it's going to include in full the pencils to best-selling comic book of all time, X-Men number one. And it's also going to include lots of pages, flash pages and panels from his X-Men work inside this artist edition mm-hmm. so if you i've already pre-ordered i've already pre-ordered oh, did you i should do that <laughs> well I, I mean i i just tweeted midtown comics said i want this oh <laughs> i was about to say i was about to say i'm like where are they pre where can you pre-order that i'll do it i know right just, hopefully IDW doesn't go bankrupt by the time, by the time october shows up jeez oh, man that's a depressing thought. Um, but yeah, so if you're keeping score uh, for Agent Sket 70, we now have two of them for him. That is this Jim Lee and that George Perez thing that's coming out in December that we all right. we have him on the hook for. <laughs> and actually, I'm probably going to get both of these myself, so I'm, who's, who am I kidding? Um, a scary Star Wars box and digital game legends highlight the weekend toys. So there's, you know, there's a bunch of toy news, including that uh, Spawn thing that we talked about last week, a bunch of Final Fantasy uh uh, seven uh, figures, some Mario stuff, um, that hyper real uh, Luke Skywalker from Empire Strikes Back, which I thought was already out, but apparently it's, it wasn't already. Apparently, there's a set of VHS style playing cards that someone made, um, which that's actually kind of funny. And you know, yeah, that's there is that, and that happened this weekend, including some Mario stuff. Next. All right, so apparently Razer is selling wireless earbuds perfect for Pokemon fans. In addition to Pikachu-stamped yellow buds, the set comes with a charging case shaped like a Pokeball. They'll be launching in China for roughly $120 on April 16th. I don't know. Let's see if there's any word on a U.S. release. Um... No, they don't have very good bad battery life, according to Gizmodo, but at least the case offers up to five recharges. Okay. Yeah. Th- Agent, I got a guy there. If I got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> you know a guy? Yeah. Uh, I, I got a guy. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. Not even surprising. <laughs> nope, not at all. Next up. Uh, Doctor Who's newest short story gives 13 uh, a lockdown of her own to deal with. So, um, a small light in these particular times for Doctor Who fans, at least, has been an outpouring of fiction from writers across the series' recent history, detailing bite-sized adventures to distract us from the realities of our own wanderings in the fourth dimension. But this week's story feels a little too real. Uh, written by Carl Cornell, who's penned plenty of Doctor Who's stories, uh, new and old, Perhaps notably adapting his old virgin new adventures novel Human Nature into the heartbreaking 10th Doctor Martha Jones story The Shadow Passes, sees Doctor, Yaz, Graham, and Ryan venture to the uh, planet Calapia for a short broke, except for they find themselves arriving just before a sinister death, death moon that arrives every 64 years, begins its journey over the planet, killing anything that is caught under the shadow, like like tends to happen in Doctor Who stories. <laughs> 
but you can go check that out um, at the official Doctor Who website. Uh, and next up, last but not least. Uh, last but not least, in an article um, that you can find on our uh, show notes, uh, there's a compilation of uh, the best nerdy virtual tours that are available now since many museums and attractions have made their tours available online. Uh, these include, uh, you know, you can explore these tours uh, digitally. Uh, these include, um, courtesy of the BBC, uh, the 12th Doctor's version of the time-traveling TARDIS, uh, the Winchester Mystery House, um, not sure what that is from. Um, it's, I guess, one of the most mysterious properties in the world. Okay. Um, you can do a virtual tour of Mars, uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at London's Warner Brothers Studio. And uh, Universal Parks are among the uh, nerdy virtual tours that have been uh, popping up in the wake of the pandemic. Indeed. And one last piece of news hot off the press from, from uh, one Matt Wang here, which we did talk about earlier. Um, Chip Zdarsky is auctioning off an original erotic short story uh, featuring you, which I will read uh, to you centrally via Zoom, all for hashtag creators for comics. Uh, bid by replying to the, to the tweet from Zdarsky and uh, bid, opening bid is 40 bucks. The auction ends at uh, April 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern, and the winner donates directly to Beyond NC Foundation. So if you're a fan of Chip Dodarski and his smoldering voice and his words, by all means, uh, bid for that. I'm actually kind of curious as to how that will go, <laughs> knowing him. <laughs> oh, God. So, yes. So now we are done with the news. We will get into uh, the first head read of the night. Our first ad reader of the night is for Wink, the personalized wine club. We all need some of that right now. Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From Rosé to Cabernet to Toronté, Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Have you ever tried an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your tastes and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel any time. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. That's cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. Wink Wines through cspn.us. Do it today. And with that, folks, we will speedily go into the, um, the, the meat to the proverbial potatoes of this here podcast uh, tonight and start talking about the first six issues of DC Comics' Crisis on Infinite Earths. Lord help us. <laughs> you know we've we've talked about this series before i just wanted to note that this is my first time ever reading this uh mine I, also oh, i'm sorry uh, mine also okay so th so we are very much going into uh 
new to us territory. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I've read some stuff. I probably read like the first issue, uh, you know, and it's probably some bits and pieces that kind of got called into from stuff later. But yeah, never the whole thing. So right. And uh, uh, Matt Wang, you uh, mentioned earlier when you actually first read this. Yeah, I mean, just like you guys, I didn't read it in its first run. We're all broke kids, and we knew about it. Uh, we saw the after effects, but I didn't read it till they collected it in 1998. Um, for those of you who remember. DC did not reprint this. There were no trades, and they did this high-end, uh, uh, high-end remastered edition in 1998 in the slipcase, which uh, I still have. And by the way, that first edition had a misprint uh, in it, uh, which they they fixed. But um, you know, I had a great uh, preface from Marv Wolfman who provided a lot of history of the series. Um, uh, we talk about that uh, later in the show. And uh, I also remember that George Perez did uh, a, a new cover that was actually a gigantic poster. Uh, I remember uh, uh, buying that poster as a gift for someone um, who was a big DC fan that I knew in college. Um, it was also painted over by Alex Ross. So it's a really, really beautiful piece every character that was in the crisis book right oh, okay i was thinking it might i don't know it's probably not this one that um um that i'm showing on the video which is like the first i want to say i think this is the first issue yeah the the with the um the full front and back but i don't think that's it and in the so i'm showing a version that the version that i have digitally and it does come with an in, in, in introduction from Mark wolfman i don't know if it's the same one that you're talking about though yeah that's the one Okay. That's the one. If if you're gonna read this series, you should definitely spend the time reading that, that uh, two page preface. Mm-hmm. So let's get right on into it with issue number one of Crisis on Infinite Earths, that is being titled uh, "Summoning." Who wants to start this off? Okay, I mean. So, you know, it kind of starts off in the beginning um, and uh, it recounts the creation of the DC multiverse, which is their explanation for how so many different alternate realities and alternate storylines had come to pass by the time we get to the publication of this series circa 1985. So essentially it's, where there should have it, the, the the premise is where there should have been one universe, there were actually many. Each one a replication of the first, with their own separate histories, and they're separated by we later find out uh, to be vibrations. Mm-hmm. Our whole basically our whole universe was in a hot dense state, and then the multiverse came, and then I'm not going to finish that song because I didn't have a chance to. Um... But yes, so that is the thing, and I'm showing the pages. Uh, matter of fact, the first page. So that the the third panel is the one that ended up begetting the um, multiversity map, correct? I believe so. Yeah. So it's actually the third panel, the fourth panel. We talking about the third panel where everything's kind of shooting out from the center? Yes. Okay. No, because I and I didn't. I meant to look that up to see if that was actually the case, but I didn't. But yeah, so from there we kind of go into panic in the streets, and um, 
um, thing. Well, the, you have to explain the panic in the streets is a, you know, I uh, this is the first song that I thought of while I was reading this. So, you know, it's the second time we're going to be quoting uh, the original, not the remix, Flavor in Your Ear by Craig Mack, because at the present time, a great white wall of pure antimatter. You know, just like <laughs> Um, you know, this antimatter energy is stretching out across the cosmos and it's, you know, it's invading the multiverse and is consuming entire galaxies. And that's how things are progressing. It's this gigantic wall of antimatter that is encroaching upon every reality. And that's how it's portrayed in, in these issues. Right. And just like that song, uh, it purport that and with the coming of that antimatter song, I mean, uh, antimatter wall, you won't be around next year. That's right. It's eating up pretty much any and everything it touches. Um, what we see, we get introduced to a character that we don't get named at first, but we know him to be Pariah. And the one thing you will need to know about Pariah is he's basically one, a watcher. Two, he cries a lot during this um, <laughs> during this uh, during this series. He spends probably ninety nine point nine percent of this uh, of this event that we've read so far. Uh, you know crying whining about why he's here the fact that he's here watching people die which understandably you know that would you know that would get a lot of people on state i understand that dc's version of silver surfer yeah i guess kind of yeah because i was yeah yeah, it's kind of a mix of silver surfer and the watcher i guess because he kind of really can't do anything he's just kind of there to watch and then disappear when the next thing happens but yeah whose 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 entry is um that's his power though crying (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if if you tell me that for fact, I would be like, yeah, you. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. Oh but, my gosh! All right, so um, so, so basically, we actually see uh, the crime syndicate uh, on Earth Three. Uh, that's Pariah's next stop, and uh, we see the crime syndicate. That's the uh, the kind of the evil. Um, mirror image of the justice league in a rare demonstration of heroism uh trying to save their planet earth three but even they can't do jack diddly hoo-hoo against the uh um turning bodies into antimatter exactly and uh that happens and then we get introduced to um well the luthor version version of jor-el and uh lois lane as um wait was this earth three I can't yes. Yeah, um, Alexander Luther and Lois Lane, who apparently, I guess Alexander Luther in this uh, is a hero, you know, comes across this and he tries to get back home to his wife, Lois Lane. And they re- recreate that scene that, um, you know, that most folks of Superman's origin knows about where he gets sent off to, or at least their child gets sent off to not that planet to get away from what is going on. Exactly. It's being sent somewhere. Yes. And uh, as a result of uh, going through and having his body turned into antimatter, um, there is a plot twist here that comes up later on. Indeed. Ha! Yeah, so the baby ends up on Earth 1. We meet Leah. Leela, excuse me, which uh, you will hear me refer, refer to as a potential Arrowverse character because there is one in there of the same name. Who I believe ends up doing a similar thing in the Arrowverse. We won't be talking about the Arrowverse uh, version of Christ on Infinite because I don't think any of us has seen it. But there is some illusions that we can still draw. Um, 
So we meet Leela, uh, who's working for the Monitor, and she turns into Mon uh, to her Harbinger, and then she splits off into a whole different versions of herself to okay. go on a recruitment drive for different uh, heroes of different places. Just not to inter not, sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah. If if you think about the context, though, in 1985, the Monitor was showing up in the monthly DC books over the course of a year. You know, selling uh, art, selling weapons. He's a he was a weapons dealer, right? Uh, and that he was appearing in a lot of books. So the Monitor was not a completely new character for people. Hopefully, if you're reading DC comics, that is correct. In fact, later on in this, uh, in one of these issues, that gets addressed because they're basically because a couple few characters end up saying, "Hey, yeah, we know you. You sold you sold arms to us, and and this and, that and the other." And of course, they're all footnotes saying, you know, that are darting back through other issues, you know, um, of stuff. Regular right. monthly issues. Of stuff. Yeah. Just as a footnote, uh, and I'm glad that uh, Matt Wang brought this up. I think we were talking about this just before we went on the air. Uh, this is, you know, the, 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 the granddaddy of all line wide crossovers. This, you know, while it's not the first big event, uh, uh, comic that would be, uh, Marvel superhero secret wars. This is the first one that basically has it's, uh, ha you know, puts a, a, a finger on every single book or virtually every single book in the line. Right. I remember specifically as a kid reading, um, uh, one of uh, it was like a panel in an issue of New Teen Titans. Like, what is this? What is this? You know, what's going on here? And this is prior to uh, the. You know, I think it's like a more than a full year before the release of the series. So I I had no idea what was going on because I just wasn't uh, buying more than one or two DC books per month. So um, it's kind of funny to read all this and seeing all what all the tie-in issues are and seeing how, as Matt said, the Monitor had been playing a role in the DC universe for at least a year or two. Um, you know, and, and we find out later what the big plan is that the monitor had placed in motion during this time. So, um, it's an, in, it's an interesting idea to try to, and I think it's probably idiotic to try to read every single tie-in issue. There's a lot out there, but, uh, you know, Hey, there's no better time to do it than on quarantine. Yeah, so I'll say, if you got the time in the books, run for it. <laughs> Comics were cheaper back then. They very much was. Matter of fact, the sale price on this particular issue and all issues of this event were seventy-five cents a piece. Yeah, but you know when we were that, you know when we were of eight, you know the age we were when this was coming out, that was high money, man. I mean, you're right. You are right. Oh, yeah. I still wish. Well, I will say I wish for those days as far as comic prices are concerned. But at the same time, it's a very different time now. And matter of fact, I will go ahead and say it is a very different time for this event. Now, fact, um, it is not as much let's say problematic tone as um as that previous event Cree scroll war that we talked about last week but there's a little bit of it there and in there just yes. gonna put that out there so anyway um so yeah monitor goes off to various earths recruiting folks including um king solivar from gorilla silly don star from legion superheroes uh firebrand from earth 2 psycho pirate who had, plays a role as we will find out blue beetle uh and a few other people um some dude from Atlantis named Arion, uh, Firestorm. Uh, so Firestorm and Killer Frost was the part that, that kind of struck me because if you know of the Arrowverse version, this kind of actually happened where, sort of kind of happened. Well, the Killer Frost, well, so basically what happened was Psycho Pirate put a spell, to, took control of um, 
of um, Killer Frost's emotions, and that is his power because he can change people's emotions. So take that into effect and keep that with you. And made him made her fall in love with Firestorm for some strange reason. Um, and she's all doting over him, and he's like, and Firestorm's like, "What in the world? Why is why are you doing this? This is crazy. Why why?" Uh, but he kind of that all that gets taken care of later. But right. like, there is a it's version. A, yeah, I was gonna say, go ahead, finish your thought, and I wanted I was, to add something. Okay, yeah, there's a version in the Arrowverse where uh, the person who plays Killer Frost, who ends up playing Killer Frost in the Flash, who's uh, Caitlin in the Flash, was also tied to that version of, or one of the ver- one of the members of Firestorm in that universe. So, but she didn't become Killer Frost until later. But that is still a thing that you know is a, is a tie. Not what were right. you gonna say? So before we move on to, you know, future issues, it was interesting to see, you know, I, you know, being very, you know, I just have like this really surface understanding of of a lot of DC history. So I had no idea that the psycho pirate was such an important character to this story. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And it kind of answers a question that I had about this character's use during Tom King's Batman run. And I couldn't figure out why on earth this character was proving to be, you know, such a cent- – proving to play a, such a central role. And, you know, it's just kind of like this ridiculous character design and concept with a Medusa mask, which really made me think of um, oh, uh, Destiny from uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants mm, yes. uh, in the 80s. But also the name Psycho Pirate made me think of this song. It's Psycho Beta Buckdown from Cypress Hills 2001 eponymous uh, release. Um, every time I see Psycho Pirate's name, I think of this song. Psycho Beta Buckdown. So, you know, it's just a wild, uh, you know, it's a wild character. And like I said, having no real history with the character i'm starting to understand now why he is proven to be such a uh such a, a character that is that carries a lot of weight in dc history and in fans of dc's lore right don't forget he was in infinite crisis you know um you know all that stuff comes after right exactly right. this is the this is the uh, the precursor right. to all that stuff yeah but he appears in a lot of places. Right. That's and the progeny. You are exactly Infinite Crisis, all these like future crisis uh, spinoffs. Those are all the progeny of this story. So it's interesting to see, you know, where this character really took uh, a prime, uh, you know, uh, spot on stage. So, uh, you know, it's reading this for the first time really illuminates a lot of what comes afterwards. Right, and if we didn't make that clear in the first part, as 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 um, as uh, Madden Age Seventy just said, yeah, this is where all those crisis jokes that we have made over the years in in, in comic book chronicles have come from, because you know this is where it all starts, basically. Um, so I will go ahead and say, in the course of uh, Harbinger's recruitment drive, she gets control. Well, a presence enters her as she's unaware of it uh, that will come to bear later. Um, during the course of the story, but she's not aware of it at first while she's doing this recruitment drive. Uh, let's see. Oh. One thing I, I'd also know for all the superheroes that were in that in that group of fifteen, they were all part of ongoing titles. Right. Even Arion, 
who's uh, an ancestor of Aquaman, was uh, had his own title back then. Really? Yeah. Oh. I'm pretty sure it was around mid '80s. Yeah. Makes sense. And as we will see during the course of this event, like pretty much uh, anybody who had a book uh, around the time will touch this event, including some people you wouldn't think <laughs> would have anything to do with such a thing. Um. And, and including a haunted Confederate tank, which that's still <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to that. Oh, I laughed when I saw that one. We'll get to that. The first of uh, Jeb Stewart, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep, yep. Oh my gosh! I was like, I, 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 I you know, like I, I had to, I had to take a, you know, I, I did a double take when I saw that one. Yeah. Haunted tank. You know about that? Come on. No, well, see, I remember. I think, matter of fact, weirdly enough, I was playing Scribblenauts on the side, and that came up because there was a DC version of Scribblenauts and Scribblenauts, and that came up. I'm like, wow, DC's history is weird, and I made and some of the things that kind of brought up there, like DC's whole history is just really stupid. <laughs> really I mean, dumb. it's. It, it, I was about to say it's proof that it, it that it pre-exists the 1962 Marvel history. Right. Well, hey, let's think about just. I know it's a tangent, but think about Marvel for a second. Where where did Hellcat first appear? True. Yeah, you're right. You're true right. in love co- in the uh, what call in the romance comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the whole uh, possible path to walk thing. Yeah, that's true. You're right. But um, you, so you, you want to wrap up this first issue? Yeah. So to finish this up, um, they basically all get attacked after 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 you know the recruitment drive happens, and uh, at this. At the monitor satellite, which we will come to know after Harbison brings them all together, and then the the monitor properly introduces himself to the whole group, and that's where we end this issue. All righty, uh, so now we're up to issue number two, which is entitled "Time and Time Again," and we open with Anthro the Cave Boy um, leading a herd of mammoths away from the village of the Bear Clan tribe. I'm like, who in the blue hell is that? Um, <laughs> you know, and Anthro the Cave Boy is not exactly the brightest bulb in the pack. Uh, <laughs> he, he sees, um, as, as uh, while he's uh, trying to steer these mammoths away, he sees a futuristic city. And um, when he looks up again, the image is gone. He gets knocked off the back of a mammoth by running into, you know, watch out for that tree, kind of a Georgia, uh, Georgia the Jungle shout out right there. And um, uh, the mammoth, the group of uh, woolly mammoths that he had been trying to round up uh, also disappears. Right. And we will see them again later. Um, yeah. So I, at first I thought, wait, is this Commandy? Commandy, the last boy? But then I was like, wait, no, they can't be because obviously there's a bunch of people around. And, and assuming that city is either the 30th century or a guerrilla city, one or two. But we won't find out not until later. So, speaking of the 30th century, um, <clears throat> we cut to the 30th century and we see Dawnstar of the Legion of um, the Legion of Superheroes, who was investigating stuff in the first issue. People were talking about her, uh, trying to find her, and then that's where the woolly mammoths come in uh, into the 30th, 30th century. Then they disappear as the Legion tries to hurt them off. Then Brainiac Five picks up the Animator Wave, uh, coming towards Earth. Then we cut to Earth One. Where the Joker tries his basically as as I said, the Joker tries his hand as a movie mogul until the Batman comes in and stops him. Wow, talk about a classic a rendition of the Joker here, both in art and writing. Yeah, really. Definitely not Heath Ledger or uh <laughs> Joker here, folks. 
who was who was the who was the main uh, Batman artist at this time in this era in the mid eighties? I want to say Jim Aparo. That sounds about right. I mean, because Neil Adams was this like is a very Neil Adams look, and but he was in the seventies, right? Right. Right, and Jim Aparo, uh, you know, unbeknownst to myself at the time, he was definitely um, not aping, but definitely drawing in the style of Neil Adams. So, um, it's you know, this is definitely sort of the the house Batman style for a long time. Mm-hmm. So during the course of the altercation, the Flash looking worse for wear, and also um, a footnote to the Flash three hundred and fifty. Uh, just happens to appear and ask for some help. Um, the Joker gets away, as that famous song would say. <laughs> um, and uh, Batman tries to help, but then but then the Flash disappears. Um, then we cut to the Monitor, where he explains. The Monitor explains it all, as as also, you know, unlike Clarissa, uh, explains it all to the folks assembled. Um, and we also get the title title page here, or the title thing. They're like, um, we don't know what's going on. I don't know. Um, I think this is when they say, well, all right, we're going to do, like, I think the, what is it, Earth 2 Superman? I believe that's Earth 2 Superman. Is the one that's like, look, I can't speak for everybody, but I will. Uh, so let's, let's hear dude out. Right. And then they decide to, you know, they decided to try to see if we, he was on up and up, and they split up into teams. Oh, you know what? We missed something from the first issue, actually, I think. What's um, that? Because the very first thing after Pariah, well, not very first, but one of the first things that happened after Pariah, we found Pariah, Oa gets attacked, and the Guardians get attacked. Because I totally forgot about that. No, wait, actually, that happened in this issue. No, that happened in this issue. Yes, yes, yes. That's right in this issue. So, yeah. um, you know... The reason why the teams are split up is that the monitor explains that, you know, uh, because of the wave of antimatter energy sweeping through the multiverse, he's established certain fork-like devices throughout the various realities designed to halt the antimatter wall. Um, he's asking all these um, these uh, groups of uh, superpowered folks to travel to each reality and activate each of the devices. Oh, you got to love the uh the story trope that is uh invoked right there mm. nobody trusts the monitor and, and as roddy cat said uh earth 2 superman says well we you know we have little choice but we have to uh, follow along yep and mind you forks being the tuning kind so that that is the specific thing that will come up as, as we finally already alluded to already but um let's see what happens here let's see yeah, so Pariah appears to Earth One Soups, Superman and Batman, and then disappears. And then Kamandi, who I talked about earlier, gets saved by Earth Two Superman and the crew. And I believe Side note. Is. Yes. Why does everyone like Kamandi? I still don't understand the appeal of that character. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> it probably has something to do with him being a creation of Jack Kirby. I, I understand that. I just I still can't, you know. Yeah. So uh, if you're watching the video, you can see the the, the uh, machine in question, the henceforth machine that Commandi is, um, that looks like a part of Galactus's head. That's right. Um, AKA a, a giant tuning fork, as we come to find out. 
Right. And shout out to George Perez art. If we haven't like kind of extolled his virtues before, you know, I have, but look at the backgrounds in these pages, man. Look at the details, even though, you know, he's often doing, you know, layouts and there's someone else doing finishes and inking. Uh, there's still just a ton of work in all these pages. It's not something we see nowadays. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is very much true. And it's sometimes not done that well when it is tried in certain cases. But uh, I think we finish up with that. Uh, oh, Harbison goes back to the to the um, to the to the uh, satellite where he sees a partially grown up, uh, not unlike Spock in um, in the um, in the uh, Star Trek three. Four. Star Trek Four, excuse me. I got that wrong. Yes. Star Trek Four, we start we see a uh rapidly aging uh Alexander Luthor from Earth Three, who is now the size who is probably like uh, seven, eight, I don't know how old he is, they don't really say, but he's a young kid in this as he, because he was a baby when he showed up first time. Right. Um we also get before we wrap this issue, we also get uh the psycho pirate. The psycho pirate um, suddenly dis- suddenly disappearing and rematerializing in a darkened room where he's threatened by a deep voice um, commanding him to follow his every order. And that is a tease for um, uh, the future antagonist of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and Chris got tired of drawing, uh, you know, backgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take a break where you can. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I think to finish this off, that we see uh, with um, Psycho Pirate taking the powder, we also find out that Leela uh, is thinking to portray the Monitor because she's been taken taken over. And all, when all of her um, separate beings came back together, the one that got taken over is filtered back into her. Uh, but we also find out that, you know, Harbinger is talking to somebody in the shadows who we will find out who that is later on. But we also find out that the Monitor knows she's compromised. Um... And he knows that she's he's uh that she's going to do him harm at some point. And I believe that is it before we get into the um the next issue. That's right. Which is called Oblivion Amongst Us, issue three. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh Lord. So we start off with the Bonitor who tests young uh the, the young Earth three Luthor, who I will just go ahead and say that's gonna be what he's gonna be called. Um, henceforth, uh, we, I think this is when we find out that he is both, uh, positive matter and negative matter, or we find out at some point that this is the case, but we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way. Um, Earth, you see Earth One heroes start to come together. You see the Flash start popping in and out. Um, and we will see more of him. Brainiac see, starts to see what's going on wherever he is, and he's like, "Okay, I gotta go because uh, because we're gonna because my life is in danger, such as it is." And he goes to seek out Lick Luthor's help. Uh, and this is when we start seeing a whole bunch of people just show up uh, because we cut to 1944 Markovia, and Sergeant Rock is over there with his crew, and this is when uh, the, the the aforementioned haunted tank shows up. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, we also see uh, the little known, at least to me, the little known um, crew known as the Losers, who also have had a movie 
a version of which has a has had a movie, um, which I heard decent things about. Yeah, it's based on the uh, Andy Diggle Jock comic. Mm-hmm. But a uh, but a past version of the losers, and we also see another Galactus-headed person that is with our, our group of heroes, um, who is also, as I call him, a bootleg Magneto, because that is pretty much his powers. <laughs> but he also looks like uh, like a bootleg Galactus. So right. Picture that. His his new costume now. Is much better. What's that dude's name? I forgot. What's the Doctor Polaris? Doctor Polaris. Yes. Because yeah. I was like, okay, I remember seeing his name, but then I forgot to put it in my notes. Um, let's see. So yeah, they try to they try to um, help the Markovians. Obviously, Geo Force, who is with them, who is also Markovian, goes to help out his people. Blue Beetles there also, uh, and and um, they try to do what they can. And so does Sergeant Rock and Crumpany, and the losers end up falling to the Animata wall and um, Blue Beetle ends up actually falling from the machine, uh, you know, from what he was, what he was trying to climb. And I believe that's the, the Animata wall just starts sweeping across them. Right. Uh, uh, for Blue Beetle, and, and you guys might remember this, but when did DC buy Charlton Comics? It was around this time, wasn't it? Because I think that they were trying to integrate Blue Beetle more into the DC universe. To Goofy uh, will go. Right. Oh yeah. The, the oh, mid, while they're looking yeah. that up, yeah. While they're looking that up, I was going to say I forgot to say that the they were being attacked by not only the antimatter wall but some shadow figures that are that have been attacking all the separate teams that are coming that are that have been put together. So each one of the machines that they are attacked to protect are being um, are being uh, attacked by shadow creatures. Right. And just as a footnote, most of Charlton's superhero characters were acquired in 1983 by DC Comics, um, where former Charlton editor, editor Dick Giordano was then managing editor. Uh, so, you know, they were basically bought in 83 and integrated into the DC main superhero line in 1985 in this story. And, and just one another just random fact. For those of you watching the show who don't remember this, but originally they offered the Charlton characters to Alan Moore, um, or Alan Moore wanted to take the Charlton characters and use them for Watchmen, but DC said no. So so Alan Moore just basically used them as ciphers and recreated everyone. Um, and uh, now those guys, the Watchmen, are probably more famous than the Charlton characters. By far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take that, DC. Now, um, so yeah, at the end of this, um, uh, say, don't forget the don't forget the detour to the old west. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm getting getting to that part because at the end of that whole thing with Blue Beetle and crew, um, this is when Solovar gets hurt and then he disappears, saving uh saving Commandi. That's when that actually happens. And then we cut to the old west, nineteen uh, eighteen seventy nine, where we see Batlash getting thrown out of a bar. Like, like jazz from Fresh Prince style. Um, <laughs> ah! <laughs> basically, because apparently this character is a um, not necessarily up to no good, but he was messing with some lady's daughter. But that's that's beside the point. But he ends up meeting with the other OS characters, including one Jonah Hex, 
and other folks that I don't know that too much about, but um, and then they eat, end up meeting with the team of heroes from the satellite they, who end up there, end up being there, including Cyborg and one John Stewart uh, Green Lantern. And this is where there's a slight bit of a problematic thing, just like <laughs> because as soon as uh, they, they see them, um, they call them and forgive me for using the term spooks. Mm. Um, and almost shoots them, but then everybody calms down and, you know, and apparently a couple of the folks recognizes Green Lantern's uh, outfit, uh, John, John Stewart's uh, Green Lantern outfit from what I can assume is, um, um, Hal Jordan. Yes, Hal Jordan's, because they, apparently they've met him before, so, <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah, I, I definitely, when I reread that recently, I, I definitely flitched a, a, a little bit. And there, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, there's that whole debate, right? Do, do you change the language or do you reprint it as it was? Right. And I, I definitely went, oh, really? Yeah. So, you, so like we said last week, you kind of got to go into these, you know, it's, it's, it's not great, but it's also, you have to realize this is a different time. That doesn't make it better, but we're just saying it was different in a written, written, different time and place. So therefore, you have to you have to um, go with what it is, and yeah, like Matt said, and like yeah, those I'm sure they had those decisions. I don't know if there's been a, a new copy since the one that I'm uh, currently scrolling through. Uh, of of there probably is actually a, a new version of this. It is, and like a regular trade. Yeah, so maybe they've changed it, maybe not. I don't know. I doubt they. I doubt, kind of thought they did. But anyway, everybody meets up and and uh, they get attacked by the shadows also, and uh, I believe they fight valiantly, but to no avail. Um, and then basically, we cut. No, I was about to say. So basically, just to wrap this issue, uh, um, the wave of antimatter hits all the Earth, all the Earth periods at the same time. Um, uh, the Legion of Superheroes in the 30th century also get hit by the antimatter wall, and uh, we, you know, we get to the end of the issue where one Harbinger returns, mm-hmm. and uh, basically we find out that Harbinger has, uh, you know, as a result of being compromised, has essentially switched sides for now. Right. And one little, also one little note is uh, Green Lantern's ring don't know doesn't work um, as we as he finds out in the midst of this issue, and that's because of what we found out in the, in in the past issue, or actually in yeah in the past Earlier. issue that oh got attacked. He doesn't know this yet, right? Uh, so yeah, so now we're at the end of that, uh, and we come to issue four, which is called "And Thus Shall the World Die." Um, we start off with Supergirl and Batgirl talking. Well, Supergirl swooping off to to, uh, to talk to Batgirl. Bat, Batgirl is pretty much shook because of what's going on, and Supergirl being She's Supergirl. She's a way bat crook. All right. Um, <laughs> She's definitely shook. It was yes. very disconcerting to read that. Yeah. So, and the, they talk for a little while, and then something happens, and Supergirl goes to um, save a person in a plane that is heading towards the Animata Wall. Uh, and Batgirl's like, yeah, she's she's really a hero, and what's going on with me? That kind of thing. Uh, then we cut to, I don't know this character, Steve Dayton? He's in the Titans. Okay. He's not it's, a Titans character, but he's like a, a background character in a lot of Titans books. Doom, and Doom Patrol. Right, that's what I was going to say. I think he was uh, a Doom Patrol background character because um, 
uh, he's intertwined in Beast Boy's origin. He's gotcha. sorry, Beast Boy's, uh, I think, uh, adopted father. Right. Mm. Okay, that's now okay. Now that name makes more sense because I think it, that that's probably come up somewhere. But anyway, he and John Constantine are talking. Constantine's like, "No, nah, he's not. We're not going to die. Don't worry about it." Um, and then swap things gets mentioned. Uh, Earth Six dies. Pariah still crying. Uh, <laughs> as I have in my notes, uh, two characters, Lord Vault and Lady Quark, uh, show up and try to save their daughter. That that which doesn't happen. Uh, do I don't see no Ferengi, but anyway. I know, right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Bravo. I love it. Um, <clears throat> so Monitor continues his plan to make his new warrior, which he said he was going to do in the last issue, and he continues that. Um, who is, we found out, is from Japan, because we start to meet this person. She's not very nice. She is a doctor. Uh, she's not the light that people around her, you know, wish she was. You know, stop me if you know where I'm going with that. And by the right. way, I will go ahead and say before they even this, this character even gets named, uh, there is a version that ends up in the the Arrowverse from a couple of seasons ago. Um, and I don't know if she shows up in the the Crisis version, but more than likely she probably does. So, th- like I said, I think there was a, a good bit of foresight going into the Arrowverse. The uh, interestingly enough, I still don't know why they introduced her because I'm still kind of like why, it, you know, if you think about like what she did post this and. Right. You know how people try to resurrect that character; it just never took off, right? And they didn't really use her to that great effect during, during you know, <laughs> when she was on whatever. I think she was on Arrow. She was on Arrow Flash. One of them too. I can't remember, but uh, I believe it was Flash. But regardless, um, you got me. Yeah, I can't remember. It was it was a couple of seasons ago. But yeah, at the time, it was like, well, what's the point in introducing her and then only really do that much with her? Like she was on for a couple of uh, episodes and then it was like, poop, gone. But apparently, if they used her in the, in the event just now, then uh, yeah, maybe that was for this. Who knows? But regardless, um, let's see, where are we at? Yeah, so this happens. She gets hit by a ray of light um, that was coming directly for her. Uh, then we cut to, apparently there's a footnote to Omega Man 60, uh, Omega Man 26. Don't ask me why I'm putting these footnotes in here because they don't really, they, they were basically what was going on at the time, which I apparently play into this stuff. Um... Uh, Earth-3 Luthor knows that Harbinger is going to kill the Monitor, but doesn't do anything. Um, but also knows that, okay, well, if she, when she does do it, then it'll be helping the Monitor's plans, basically. And Red Tornado gets snatched by the enemy. Right. Uh, cut to Firestorm and Killer Frost meets up with Fright Shining Knight at one of the Monitor machines. Uh, they fight the shadows that are there attacking. And... Uh, then those shadows, self-same shadows everywhere start fighting all of the other teams after they grow into one big shadow giant. Right. They go Voltron and just become like this gigantic uh, uh, monster threatening the tuning fork. Yes. And this is when we start getting introduced to the new Earth One, Dr. Light, which is an aforementioned lady, uh, Dr. Lady. Um, and I've already said the, the, the Arrowverse mentions, but whatever. Shows up to the protective machine. However, she doesn't understand a link of English, and they don't understand a lick of Japanese. However, luckily, Katana's there, and apparently Superman knows Japanese. So both of them can translate, to have, at the time, can translate for her, because at the time she popped in, 
she thought they thought they were she was attacking them, but she was actually protecting the machine. And people, everybody calmed down after Katana said, "Hey, I know Japanese." You know, um, Wonder Woman tries to get help on Paradise Island, but doesn't get it. Pariah pops back up on the monitor, cries some more, and apparently we find <laughs> out that uh, the monitor not only knows uh, Pariah, but is responsible for Pariah's situation. And he cries more, finding out that the fact that 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 uh, monitor had to do with what's going on with him, what what he's doing. Um, is that it? No, we got a little bit more. Um, all the worlds are separated by vibration and time. As we find out, the monitor's machines are supposed to merge them. As we find out, Harbinger finally kills the monitor and she falls. Somehow, miraculously, comes back later though. Pariah cries again, and Earth One and Two disappears, and so seemingly does everything. Exactly. That's in the Yes. All right. So uh, we jump straight into issue number five, which is entitled Worlds in Limbo. So we find ourselves in the antimatter universe, and uh, the the antagonist, the dark antagonist, is... uh, you know, messing around with both uh, the Psycho Pirate and Red Tornado. Um, he, uh, the antagonist has Psycho Pirate use his emotion-controlling abilities to keep the Flash in line, while also promising that he will soon have his own worlds to rule. Um, we jump to uh, back to the Monitor satellite, where a Harbinger, uh, you know, comes back from... Uh, killing the monitor and you know she's basically uh you know remorseful about it but she doesn't remember uh anything about it we uh jump to a recording of the monitor explaining everything and explaining what has happening what what is now happening to uh safeguard the uh the the two earths that basic that we thought had been wiped out by the antimatter wave at the end of the previous issue basically the monitor and just like some weird, weird science, um, turned his body into an energy conduit, and uh, his life essence shunted Earth One and Earth Two into another world, keeping them safe from the adversary's attack at least for now. Was it called the New Fifty Two? Oh no! I was about to say it's almost as if he went beyond. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in the Monitor's haste to uh, preserve these two Earths and their, their respective universes, all time in those two Earths and their universes have become one. So they're slowly coming together to become one time. Uh, and we see the editorial mandate starting to coalesce. Um, Alexander Luthor enters the chamber and hears the last of the monitor's recorded speech. Incursions! <coughs> Excuse me. Uh-huh. Well, let me ask, can I ask you a question? Was, is, so does basically, is basically Pariah the pain that DC editors had to deal with combining the timelines together? You know what? <laughs> Probably. Let's, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Everyone's just like, why did you have me do this? Why are you doing this to me? Why am I suffering so much? Ah! Yeah, that's, you know what. Also worth noting, um, longtime fans of Lex Luthor may or may not know that, yes, one, uh, he has had hair 
we this version of uh, Luther we see has red hair, which we don't normally we don't always associate with uh, a Luthor or specifically Lex Luthor. But yes, he, there is he does have red hair apparently. Which wait, did in, in Superman in the movie did he have red hair? I don't remember. I know he had hair before he cut it off, but you know it doesn't matter. We'll find out later. Um. And I believe that starts to turn the corner on this here thing. Um, right. The see. timelines are, are intermingling, as I mentioned. Um, oh. You know, we have dinosaurs and World War One era biplanes existing side by side with modern day metropolis skyscrapers and strange vessels from the far flung future. Amazingly, Earth's populace is remaining relatively calm and we've got reporters uh, reporting on the situation. Um uh, let's see. Um, so one little note before we go any further. Uh, when so uh, when Luthor comes in and talks to Harbinger and the Monitor's dead, they give him a them they give him a Star Trek two style burial by torpedoing him out of the satellite and utilizing him really quickly. No bagpipes involved. Oh God, I remember that. Yes. Right. That's so funny. But yeah, so then we get a meeting of all of the heroes at the the, the um at the satellite, including right. two stretchable people of note, as you can see in the picture here, and everybody else that has been involved so far. Harbinger, Luthor, and Pariah basically tried to explain what's going on to everybody, and I think this is when uh, Earth Two Superman actually speaks for everybody and says, "Look, we'll we're gonna do what we'll do. We're we're gonna help." And then everybody goes back to Earth to, to, to because there are some people that were skeptical and so they could see what was going on themselves. Right. Uh, I Elon just wanted Gated to... Man uh, makes just, a Death Star just, reference. Go I was about to say... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm saying Elongated Man makes a Death Star reference. Yes, yes, yes. I just wanted to mention that this two-page splash is a pretty famous image mm -hmm. from this book. It is cited by lots of artists as one of the things that possibly got them into becoming comic book artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a thing to see, which you can if you're watching the video right now. Haha. -ha. Um, it's weirdly enough also reminds me of Super Secret Wars, but uh, we're not we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna do that to this. All right, so um, yeah, everybody gathered. They get back. They get sent back to Earth to see what's going on. Uh, they help out where they can. Basically, a group of lanterns go to Oa to to check on the the Guardians. They get attacked. Um, after they see the Guardians in stage, but uh, in stasis, uh, we right. see Rip Hunter and his crew. Um, if you know Legends of Tomorrow, then you know that name. Uh, they're caught in a time storm. I guess we'll see them again at some point. The Bear Tribe from earlier shows up at Wayne Manor because Alfred calls and Alfred calls Batman and a whole bunch of superheroes who apparently may or may not have known Bruce Wayne's identity could potentially know that now. <laughs> because of this, I don't know, because they never really go into it, obviously, but it's like, hey, you know, everything is going on, why even bother? Um, but yeah, heroes go out into the world. And the Riddler is there. Right, exactly. So I'm sitting here like, wait, all these people in Wayne Manor putting two and two together and, you know, come on now. Um, Psycho Pirate holds off. Oh yeah, so Psycho Pirate's um, thrall on Killer Frost wears off and she threatens, to, uh, threatens uh, Firestorm, you know, with the, turning his uh, body blood cold or whatever the case may be, whatever the Flash, who happens to be in the draw in the um, chamber or wherever that the enemy is, uh, resists Psycho Pirate's power, 
and we see Red Tornado get turned into uh, a storm and attack Earth. Right. Uh, then we start seeing more visions of Earth 2 people seeing Earth 1 stuff and vice versa. Uh, they're fighting the storm. They finally, they, the, the heroes that are fighting the storm deal with Red Tornado. Uh, but not before Wildcat um, gets struck by lightning and gets his legs broken, which you would think that would be the least of his problems when getting struck by lightning. Um, and might not walk again. People are dealing with that. Uh, so everybody decides, hey, we're going to help out. We're finally going to help out the, the monitor. We're all on board. There's another Star Trek reference. I mean, beam me up. The, yes, I am noting these things. Um, the Animator Cloud is moving through the last of the three universes that they will need uh, to to save things because, you know, Earth 1 and Earth 2 are already in the, the Netherverse, but there are three ver- other universes that are still out there that they need. Um, oh, we also find out that the enemy could not get to Earth 1 and 2 because of the fact that Monitor shunted uh, those two universes into the beyond. Right. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. And the in what also um, makes me think of Secret Wars, uh, the enemy ends up, who, we do, who is not named yet, uh, ends up attacking the satellite with all of the heroes on board, and they try to scramble uh, to... Um, to get out of there or do whatever. And then we get uh, in the final shots of this uh, issue, the flash gets all big and bold and it's like, it's like, hey, face me, whatever, do you, you know, what you gonna do? And the enemy ends up um, coming out from the shadows and it is... Hold on. A robotic form of the monitor. So, yeah. Interesting design. Yeah, that same. I almost called him. I, I assume. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for some later. But yes, it is the monitor. You can see the, the picture right there. It's a. I think it's heavily in Darth Vader. Yeah, you can say that. What like, again? If you're watching the video, you can see uh, said image of uh, of dude. And that brings us into. Um, we're in issue six, right? Yep, issue six is the last issue of the show. Uh huh. Uh, and it is called Three Earth, Three Deaths. Dun dun dun. Uh, this is where we find out that the monitor is chastising Psychopire, but then gives him what he wants. He amplifies his powers, Psychopire's powers, and Psychopirate goes to uh, what we come to find out take over the emotions of not just one, but three universe worth of people's. Uh, emotions, uh, which ends up proving kind of kind of um, difficult for him for his puny human mind. The Flash is still there, by the way. So you know he's just kind of there. Um, Flash gets ready to act to get into strength. The Manitoba satellite is still crumbling because it's because it got attacked last issue, and the heroes are scrambling to save themselves. Pariah disappears, but not but not before crying. If you're if you're playing bingo. Um, Harbinger, Harbinger keeps Luthor from sacrificing himself and the satellite that is destroyed. Uh, cut to Earth 2, where we see Adam tending to Wildcat, putting him in bed, and being spied on by one character named Yolanda Montez, who apparently has uh, special abilities, because she's like outside like hanging on the wall like Spider-Man. Right. Um, and apparently see Infinity Inc. for that. I don't know who this character is, so but we will she, find out. She becomes Wildcat. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She gets killed by Eclipso. 
Oh, really? Okay, didn't know that. Yeah, that, that was much later. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, Earth-1, Lex Luthor gets swooped up by Brainiac. Um, again, a reference to Superman 413. Uh, Earth, to cut to Earth-X, a crew of heroes get sent there, and they see an image. Basically, in all of the different worlds that are that are still left, a big image of, um, of a harbinger gets cast into the uh, antimatter storm, so everybody sees it. Uh, meanwhile, they're trying to control crowds who have been taken over by uh, Psycho, Man, Psycho Pirate. I keep wanting to say Psycho Mantis. That's a, um, that's a Metal Gear reference. That's not near the same. Yeah, uh, just as a quick note, uh, Earth-X is an alternate world where World War II had been fought for more than 40 years. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is a group of um, uh, superheroes that are... Uh, you know, some of them are uh, based on characters of uh, modern, relatively modern myth, like Uncle Sam. Uh, there is a version of the Ray and a version of Hawkman and the Phantom Lady. So, uh, you know, we get these characters trying to defend this Earth and they're being uh, manipulated by the Psycho Alpha Disco Beta Psycho Pirate. Um, and uh, they're basically. Uh, resisting the hero's attempts to stop them from running headlong into the antimatter wave. Yeah, so they don't get their bodies turned into antimatter. And yes, um, if you know of that CWOC um, uh, animation, the Ray Freedom Fighters, that is one of the characters, the version of one of the characters. Um, so we find out that Harbinger dives into wherever her body was when the satellite explodes, and we find out what happens, uh, what she ends up doing, uh, which is basically... Um, wait, actually, I don't know if we do that or not. Um, ah, bah, bah, bah. Let me get my notes. Where are my notes? There we go. So, yeah. Um... Yeah, Dr. Light can now understand people for some strange reason. They think it's because of Harbinger and or something Luther did. Um, and yeah, like I said, Psycho Pirate's trying to control three Earth's worth of people. We cut to Earth 4, where they're trying to fight uh, like Blue Beetle and them who are being controlled. Cut to both, cut to Earth slash 1, 2, where Aquaman um, is, you know, basically everybody that is fighting folks that are not under control are also seeing earth one and two images or who are on earth one and one two are seeing images of the alternate earth as it starts to kind of blend more into each other incursion style um apparently there's a there's a there's a person called dolphin i don't know who that is but she was watching black ocean master master and black manta as aquaman go speeding off uh, earth- she was part of the legion of forgotten heroes and she becomes aquaman's girlfriend for a time and then she hooks up with uh tempest aqualad and they have a kid Oh, so we have our very own who's who in Matt Wang. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Cut to Earth S, where a Supergirl, Changeling, aka Beast Boy, Black Canary, Wonder Woman, and crew run into that world's Marvel family, aka Shazam, aka Captain Marvel and crew, and they end up fighting them. Uh, cut back to Earth X, uh, where the the heroes that are not controlled uh, that were sent there finally pick up on the fact that Psychomantis is the one that's, that's controlling people's uh, emotions. And we find out what happened to Harbinger, who uses the last of her power to shunt, basically shunt the other three Earths into the same netherverse as the Earths 1 and 2. So not only uh, we have five universes in that, uh, in that uh, I was about to say new universe, but that's a different company. Uh, ah. In that netherverse, but 
those three universes are now also starting to come together and blending together. And if they all come together in the same space and time and occupy it, they all will die. So which means that they still haven't fixed the problem, but just made it worse. Or as bad. And finally, um, we get another Star Wars reference from uh, Psycho Pirate involving billions of souls crying out all at once. <laughs> um, and again, like I said, Harbinger user powers and her and uh, Leela, who is now reverted back to her Leela form, and Luthor is stuck on a floating rock out in space. Apparently they can breathe in space or something. And we end up finding out there is a new black cat in town in the form of Yolanda Montez. No, a new wildcat. Wildcat. Oh, new wildcat. wildcat. What did I say? Black cat. Sorry. Sorry. Well, she's addressing black, but yes, wildcat in the form of Yolanda Montez. My apologies. Back on Earth 2. And that, folks, is where we end this, uh, the, the, the first issue, issue summary of Christ is on Independent Earth. Thoughts? Uh, well, this is something that we were talking about just before going on the air. I was, uh, you know, we, we were discussing the story structure through the first six issues and sort of anticipating what's going to be happening uh, over the second half of the series. Now, we have not yet really seen some of the famous uh, events that occur in this uh, miniseries that have really had um, lasting reverberations throughout DC's uh, history. A recent history, but we do see like the editorial ideas kind of taking shape in, in in the forms of which universes are being put together into um, into what is going to be the prime continuity. You know, it's like a contrived way of saying, "All right, we're going to grab from here, we're going to grab from here, we're going to grab from here," and you know, we're putting them in this netherverse and watching them merge. Right, so it's basically what the what's going on with Star Wars right now in in this um in their uh, extended universe. Yeah. Except without all the the extra <laughs> blending and seasoning or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so I forgot to ask this question last week, um, or I didn't think about it last week. But I don't know if it, it should apply. But I'm just going to put it out there. Plex of the week. Oh. <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. At least from these first six issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see. I think, um, trying to think of which one I enjoyed the most because it definitely was a bit of a slog to get through the first issue or two. For sure. Uh, I, I don't know if. If, if issue one or two would be on my list because it took me a while to get through them. And uh, part of it is uh, George Perez's layouts, which are dense. But part of it also is the non-decompressed style of storytelling that uh, Marv Wolfman is using here. There's a lot of information on a lot of these pages. So there's a lot to go through as you're reading. So it, it's, it takes a while. So I don't know if issue one would, would necessarily... Uh, apply or, or would be a candidate for click of the week. Mm -hmm. While I'm kind of thinking aloud, does anyone else already know which one they might pick for click of the week? I, I read Chip Sosarski's new comics, uh, new comicsology original uh, Afterlift. So there's my click of the week. <laughs> You're cheating. You're supposed to use one of these six. Yeah, I was about to oh. say, but yeah, but we'll, we'll, no, we'll... I, 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 <laughs> I, 
H and seventy. I agree with you. I, I mean, I I'd probably say one of the more action oriented issues, probably like four or five. Right. That's yeah. what I'm leaning towards. I'm kind of scrolling through, like, huh? I don't know if I want to go through uh, the first two issues. I think four or five might be um, might be a better candidate. Right. I mean, it's definitely those are the ones where things you know start picking up and we get we finally start getting you know what's really going on and and things to start stirring. You know, trying to figure out which one has less pariah crying. <laughs> oh no, they all have it. I mean, that's true. Uh, I think I think I would choose issue number. What am I looking at here? I would probably choose issue number five because it's just so wild and wacky, and you see a little bit of everybody on every page. Literally, a little bit of everybody on every page. Mm. Right. So yeah, I, think I would go with five, and you also get the the the, the cool reveal of the monitor slash who we will find out to be somebody else in the near future. Hmm. I think I might actually go with you on that one. Oh, the anti-monitor. The anti-monitor. It's yeah. actually on the, the front page of the cover of issue six. Right. Yeah. See, I, I, did, I wasn't going to, I didn't want to mention it, but we keep that as a thing, but we know it's coming. We all know what's coming. So. Right. Right. I mean, it's literally revealed. I don't think it's actually mentioned in issue number six in the story, but it's on the cover right. that he's anti-monitor. Right. And to be honest, this actually helps me make more sense of the uh, Kurt Busiek, George Perez, JLA Avenger story, because there are a lot of elements in that. And, 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 and there's a character that is going to appear in this story later on, you know, in the, in the second half of this book um, called Krona. And those three characters actually play roles in that um, JLA Avengers crossover. And I'm looking at it like, I don't care enough to Google these people. I might have Googled them when I first read them, and I just couldn't comprehend why they were important. But now I understand, I, you know, after, you know, and, 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 and remember that crossover is from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all starting to come back together again for me. Mm. Yeah, we were more than likely we would probably have to uh, I don't think we can get our hands on that particular one, but we definitely will probably end up doing another crisis during one of these. Specifically, probably the next one, I would imagine, if we go in order. But we'll talk about that at some point. All right. I mean, we might skip back to Marvel. We might, you know, like just to just to keep, uh, you know, to keep the variety. Mm. I didn't I didn't want to just stick to Marvel stories. I wanted to throw some DC in there. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, and shout out to uh, shout out to Binge Mode, the uh, the podcast uh, put out by the Ringer. They're actually doing Saga next week oh yeah. Oh, wow that's a that's an undertaking <laughs> they're actually doing saga next week so i don't know i mean i i have i think the first like two or three trade paperbacks i might read those just to because i'd never read them i just right. bought them and kind oh, of them on the same here that's great actually ooh, uh, uh we might want to put this one on the table also since we're we're a little grafting in the maybe fables that's a good one no, it's on the table. I've never read that. Yeah, I have. I think I have the first like two or three trades. So, I was about to say that's something that we would have to plan ahead for. Yeah. That, that's not something that we're going to say. Yeah, this is what we're going to cover next week. Right. Yeah. So, we're just kind of I like. In. I like. Yeah. Don't take anything. Don't take anything we're saying right here, right now, as hey, this is an absolute. We're just saying just this, this is a possibility. No. no. <laughs> Right, while we're in quarantine people... and there's no new books out, we're we're coming up with content for you for our fans out there. Right. What what Marvel what Marvel series would you do? Would you do something like big and popular, like Civil War, or or well, something more like obscure? 
So we started with Kree Scroll War last week, and we may end up going back down that line with like Celestial Quest or something along that line, just to kind of because of Empire coming out. Mm-hmm. But um, so we might do something out of that, and probably skip around to something else, just to kind of to just kind of break it up, and then uh, you know whatever else comes out of DC. Have, and... have you thought about doing uh, the first uh, Young Avengers one through twelve? Actually, yes, because that com- that came up. Really? that right it's mm-hmm. actually related to what's happening in empire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that yeah. might that might be like once we finish crisis that might be what we uh turn back to mm-hmm. i mean it could be some x-men stuff coming up because i kind of wouldn't mind reading like meat massacre or something like that over again uh-huh. yeah oh absolutely absolutely yeah if we especially if we did like uh you know the, i guess mutant massacre being like the first um x-men crossover story and then maybe doing fall of the mutants mm-hmm. Um, I would love to revisit some of those. Some of my favorite, like you know, formative stories as a you know as Inferno. a kid in high school. Yeah, yeah. Inferno, or go back to like the New Mutants for the graphic novel. Yes, yeah. I don't remember that very well. I'd have to, uh, I, you know, thank 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 goodness for Marvel for finally springing for Marvel Unlimited, so that I would have access to read that again. Mm. Extinction Agenda. Yeah. Oh gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of the Jim Lee, uh, you know, speaking of the Jim Lee artist edition, I'm willing to bet there's going to be pages from his books uh, in the uh, Extinction Agenda crossover in that. I, I just got a I just got a tweet from IDW. Uh, I might I might send some of my scan dart to them. So I'm, I just got a tweet from them. I got to DM them. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, Matt, why are you making things happen? <laughs> That's right. We'll be on the lookout for his contributions to these uh, reprinted works. Right? Hey, if, if, hey, if they scan it, they send me a free copy or two or three. There you go. That's <laughs> where they're going. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I can at least pick mine up. You know, just drive into the city real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's funny, man. But yeah, that's uh, you know, these are definitely thoughts um, for the near future because uh, we're still at least New York State's going to be on pause for you know several more weeks. So yeah, we're going to have to come so. up with uh, content while uh, comics aren't being distributed, probably through mid-May. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. For any uh, final thoughts about uh, these first uh, six issues from either of you? No, I think this is the turning point, issue mm-hmm. six. Yeah. It's interesting that the midpoint is the turning point of the series. Yeah, actually, we and we were talking about that earlier uh, before the show. It was like, yeah, this is interesting enough, you know, not only the first big line-wide event, but also the first big event that kind of has a bit of structure uh, to it. And I believe Matt it was was when you said it was like, yeah, this is kind of the one that says off the, um, you know, the 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 next events that come after it, and all the events that come after it. So yeah, this is it's been kind of interesting to read this uh, in full for for sure, and you know we I feel like we kind of know we definitely know where it goes, and we definitely know what comes out of it at the end of this. But getting to that point is kind of a it's going to be the, an interesting journey. Yeah, I definitely. Oh, go ahead. Oh, all I was going to say is just a really it's really interesting to see the uh, what the DC universe looked at how it looked at that time. Like I think people forget like Teen Titans was selling as well as X Men. Oh, I love, and 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 Matt, you know, like I know you're not always with us, um, but I know that you that you're a fan of the show. I have always come out and said that uh, pre-Crisis DC is what I came up with, like especially uh, New Teen Titans. You know, I was a huge fan of the New Teen Titans, and uh, right up until the Judas Contract and the introduction of 
Nightwing, I was on board, but then for whatever reason, it was probably related to Crisis and I just blocked it out of my mind. I jumped, you know, I was just not connected to what was happening in DC at all. It didn't resemble what I knew. It also didn't help that George Perez was not on art um, at that time. He had transitioned off the book. Um, so, um, th- you know, that's what I remember. You know, pre-crisis continuity is what I remember for the new Teen Titans, at, le- at the very least. So, um, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's what I remember. And, you know, seeing now... You know, this is, I think, pretty important for my, you know, filling in a particular blank in my comic book history, yeah, reading Crisis. Uh, and I appreciate that this is actually, you know, that, you know, one one small bit of silver lining uh, with regard to the uh, COVID-19, the pandemic and quarantine is that it's forcing or not maybe not forcing, but definitely part forcing and part giving me the opportunity to read something like this that, you know, given given our regular schedule of new books every week, I probably wouldn't have time to do. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. So, yeah, this it's, you know, yeah, in the midst of everything, we got something good out of it. Because <laughs> yeah. we've been saying for all this time, like, yeah, at some point we're going to go on back and read the stuff, but we never do because we always got new books to read. So, you know. Yeah, we're busy trying to catch up. We can only get like five or six at a time. Sometimes we get lucky and we can squeeze in eight or nine. Yeah. Matt's yeah. always joking with me. He's like, we always read at least five. That's probably it, you know? Yeah. I would make a recommendation for you guys, like, you know, for next week and, you know, after you read the, the second half and talk about it is um, I would recommend, and I don't know if you have time or whether you do it on Twitter, it's just talk about like what happened to the DC universe after Crisis, right? You had Superman of Steel. You had Batman Year Batman Year One and Two, and you had all these other things that happened, like Justice League International, the whole uh, Keith Giffen Kevin McGuire run, one right? Punch, so, one punch. right. So you had all these cool things that happened after the crisis, and obviously a lot of bad things that happened after. But you know, but you know, I, I think that there's an epilogue episode that you guys can talk about. Hmm. Yeah, we we'll have to think about that for sure. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, like, you know, like both of our DC knowledge is still kind of spotty, even after that point. Like, I, I mean, probably mine's probably more than you guys's, but yeah, we could probably definitely put some. Put some they about Wally West became Flash, right? And and I was about to say this is something we this is a topic we're probably definitely going to broach. We're hoping to get PCN underscore Dirt to. Uh, um, escape from his family, the clutches of his family, for <laughs> for a time next week if to uh, contribute yeah. to uh, the second the second half of our Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, uh, two part story, a two part episode. So, um, you know, you know, we will probably broach the topic with him because his DC history is a lot stronger than than either mine or Roddy Cat's. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, if there will be nothing else uh, to say about that, I guess we can get to the last ad read of the night. And, you know, we've gone a long time tonight, so our last ad read of the night is for Amazon. Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit CSPN.us, then click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or action figures like Agent Underscore 70. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. 
Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And as we come to the end of this here comic book, pro- comic book Chronicles podcast, we'd like to thank each and every one of you all for coming out. And uh, we're just going to give you a nice little shout to the next issue's cover of Crisis on Infinite Earth issue 7. It's a very, very classic cover. Uh, if you're seeing here on the video, if you're not seeing here, it is Superman holding a dead Supergirl. Spoiler alert! Yeah. For a series that's like 30 years old, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And Sorry. Yeah, no, right. Sorry, not sorry, I guess, at at that point. Um, But yes, until next week, uh, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can also find me at NewsNewsNeed on Twitter. You can also find me at CBCaps on Instagram. Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. Matt Wang 97 on Twitter. Matt, is there any other places you want to shout, shout out? I'm on Instagram too. Same same handle. That is also correct, yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to put that out there or not, but I figured it out. That's fine. Okay. They'll figure it out. <laughs> Indeed. Um, PCN underscore dirt on Twitter. PopCultureNet on Twitter. PopCultureNetwork.com and all of his umbrella sites therein. And also uh, Bytes, the Vine replacement under comic book reviews. No vowels. <laughs> Tim, D-O-D-D-9-8, the Osiris of this ish, on Twitter, uh, comment, uh, some, excuse me, CB Cron on Twitter, uh, CB, what, no, no, the Click Nation on Twitter, that's D-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N, theclicknation.com, and also, of course, comic book resources where he's over there writing his face off. Go check out that man stuff, give him some links and clicks and all that stuff. I'm not sure what he's been writing on lately, but... Maybe something on us. We don't even know. Uh, you can find this here podcast on the Cold Slither Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us at their podcast for the place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or the Cold Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. We'll be back next week with part two of this here, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, podcast part thing. And more news and more whatevers, and maybe me with uh, new vocals. We don't even know. The world's a mystery. Woo! Anyway, this has been Combo Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. I love it when a plan comes together. Good evening.